0: Welcome to our Capital Market Day 2014. And I welcome you in a very old premise of our company, Eiffel Schmidt. It is the former canteen for the workshop set up here in Welby at Viaslev Alley. So it's quite a traditional building. And when you look a little bit around on the pictures and on the presentations what we have here, it tells the story, it tells the history of where we come from, what we do, where we are doing it, and how. So if you have the time during the break or after the session, take a few minutes to look through. And of course, we would like to have something from you back. There in the back of the hall is a small competition where we would like to have you analyzing which kind of minerals maybe are lying on the table and then That you choose what it is, and of course we have a price for it too. The theme of this capital market day is manage the cyclical downturn, manage the cycle and prepare for the upturn. For the ones who track us for a while, they know that theme for quite a while, and we will explain how that goes into the reorg, the reorganisation, what we will make effective first of january. We have the following agenda, I start as you see with the welcome note and of course the overall picture before last our CFO goes more into the financial part and then the four division presidents are giving a very deep dive into their so-called strategies and outlook and then I will wrap up before we at six o'clock with a Q&A end and then going for drinks and dinner where we really would like to have an open way that we can communicate and you can ask us directly, face to face. But before I go on, I introduce myself. My name is Thomas Schulz. I'm the group CEO of Eiffel Schmidt since May 2013. And when you look on my CV, it's not that difficult to recognize I'm a real engineer, I'm a real mining engineer by heart and I will celebrate next year my silver wedding as an engineer and being in that industry for 25 years and I'm very proud of that. If I now come to the first item what we have, you saw Uffe with the safety introduction. Safety is utmost important in the mining and in the cement industry. And this trend, this culture is increasing. And when I onboarded last year, we started to trigger an intensified program to focus on safety. And what I can announce is a fantastic overperformance of Eiffel Schmidt worldwide coming to a level of two on the LTIFR, which is the safety index or indicator. And that is really a good performance It proves another thing, as you see, we have a target for this year of three and a half, so we were not ambitious enough. That will change next year, of course. Out of that, the reason why we stress that a lot, safety is a prerequisite to be the productivity improver in mining and in cement. You will see in the future that our clients more and more go in and don't accept any supply, any service from companies not having a good track record on safety. And as with all things, to be the front runner, to be in the driver's seat is always positive. With that, I come to that, how to describe what we do. Last year, when I onboarded, we made a strategy health check and we announced last year that the strategy is exactly right and we will go on with that. This is a journey what we are on and at the end of the journey stands that we are the preferred full service provider for mining and salmon technologies in the world. But of course there are steps in between. It's a flow. Step by step we improve and to improve means we have to manage that, the part of the cycle where we are in today and that's In mining minimum, definitely the downturn cycle. And we do that. We announced last year in August the efficiency program, and of course we perform on that. And of course we will deliver, as we promised, the 750 million DKK EBITDA improvement at the end of 2015. We said that we are proactively right-sizing, business right-sizing the business. That means we look which kind of labor, which kind of cost, which kind of infrastructure we need to make our business happen proactively and start to adjust downwards or upwards when we need more or less. And, of course, we looked into the structure, how are we organized? Is that the way that we can find the best synergies, that we can serve our clients the best so that it's the easiest to do business with us? And we figured out we have to do something. We have to make some changes. And that's the theme of the day, which means we reshuffled into from four divisions again into four divisions, but with a different setup. And that is what we will inform you very detailed. This is all for the sustainable, profitable growth path, which, as I said, will end as being the preferred full-service provider but at the same time where we deliver on each point of the cycle more than 20% return on capital employed. Now I go into the industry trends a little bit to talk why we are in that business, what are the rationals, and I will not make a deep dive into it, but, I've, but we think it's important to understand why we are all doing these things and why we have that confidence that business will come back the macro trends, everyone knows, growing population, growing need for energy, infrastructure, that is clear. No matter how bumpy the road is with the world GDP, that general trend is there. We will see hundreds millions of people moving from the third world into the second, from the second into the first, and that triggers infrastructure, that triggers utilization of minerals. We have so-called supply trends, and the typical supply trend is ore grades. We definitely see that all over, ore grades in the mineral deposits is decreasing. Not in a week, not in a month, but constantly decreasing. And that means constantly our clients have to dig out more and being more scientific to have the right productivity. Means the lowest cost, for example, to get the metal out and to sell it. There are, of course, overlying industry trends which are very important for us because these are the drivers for us that we are focused in the right part. I said it before, safety, health, environment is, of course, a very important trend. But not to forget productivity. I can already say the next mining cycle is not described by capacity increase, it's described by productivity improvement. Innovation, full service, etc. These are all things which have a very high, maybe higher than before, part and prioritization on the agenda of our clients. In cement, they are already ahead of that, they already are in with these things. So we can learn out of the cement way of working in Eiffel Schmidt, into our mining group. And you will hear about that too. What is the market potential? Of course, when you look into that, what is available as resources, it's quite a widespread. We have an internal definition, Eiffel Schmidt available market. That is what we see, the area, the amount of money what our clients spend, where we can have a share of and on the left side, you see cement. Important is that orange arrow on the right upper side, which clearly gives the growth of that available market. It's not our growth, as we see how we will grow, but it shows how the field we play in is getting bigger. And in cement, we see three to four percent over the cycle, and in mining, in minerals, four to five percent. If I go on into what makes us confident that we will participate, that we will over-participate in that growth and in that market and making a profitable, good return business out of it. I talked already about the vision. but important is what is our strategic setup. Being close to the customers, being global is important. Being innovative, being excellence in that what we do And that's a major theme. You should do that where you are good at it. And that is what we stress. To make business where we have core competence, unique competence. And with that, of course, financial targets. And we are here as a management team, as a company, around 15,000 people to keep the promise what we give. And as targets, we have the 20% of return capital employed, 10 to 13% EBITDA, and so on, unchanged. The industries, the areas where we act in cement and in minerals, of course, cement more than 132 years' history, competence, knowledge around the world. That we have customers who are buying from us without any breaks since 110 years. This is unique. We have that. That's our culture. We are in copper and in gold where we still see, especially when we look into the, for copper, into the available resources, good business in the future. We are in coal, we are in iron ore, we are in fertilizers. There we have leading technology, what we sell already around the world, and services. And we opened up out of the strategy health check for adjacent business, nickel, alumina, rare earths, all areas where our technology, our competence can be used 100%. Why should we block that? What else? You need enablers. An enabler is of course, what is your structure? How are you organized? And we are strongly believing that the divisional structure, which, from my personal point of view, is the best structure to go on in both industries, is built on business model, on cost capability sharing, to focus on that where we are good at it. And that is what we realise in the reorg: that we, of course, have centre of excellence. No matter if it's innovation, processing, products, operation and maintenance, yes, we have that but we need a structure which drives automatically this performance and this excellence. Now, the organization. We announced in August that we will come from four divisions into new four divisions. That means customer service, then a minerals division, a cement division, and a product companies division. This Operational change, this change in structure has then in each division the same business model. It's easy to deal with. I normally use the example today my division presidents have up to 18 KPIs to manage their business. In the future, in reality free. we can combine with that reorg the focus by simply structuring different, the focus on that where we are good at it, in that division. Another part is, and I will explain that, we strongly believe that the cycle is to divide into three major parts where this sales is predominant happening. Service, products, and projects. A structure which reflects that, makes it easier to manage through the cycle. We act in cyclical industries, cement and minerals. And to set up the company that our cycle is more flat, that, of course, is a task for us because no one likes in a downturn to cut a lot and then two, three years later when the upturn comes to recruit a lot, to educate for two years and then the next downturn comes. That's not a good business model. So it's important that we manage the cycle as we have it as a theme And if we then, on top of it, get, especially at the trough area for both industries, a good growth potential, what we can drive out of it, then we can be happy. And that is exactly the case. Now I look into the new divisions. What does it mean? What is the type of business where we are in? Minerals and cement division is selling engineered, customized single products. In cement, a kiln, a preheater. In mining, a flotation bank. A mill. But of course, there is this huge demand from customers, and this is increasing in minerals. In cement, we already have it to sell the complete setup. The complete plant with infrastructure, with everything. Cement, we have it since years. In mining, it comes more and more And you need that skill. You need that skill to build these complete plants to have EPC competence, EPS competence. You will hear later from it. This is a cyclical business. We know that. But it's necessary to to be in, otherwise, you have an issue with your product and your service business. Because that prepares a lot of it. This business is about risk management and project management. This business doesn't deliver high EBITDA, but should deliver a permanent negative networking capital, which means a positive cash. Then we look into the customer service, typical aftermarket business. For us nowadays, a lot of spare parts and then service with this golden part in it, operation and maintenance, the highest level of service what you can do, which means you take over customer side 100% And you are the customer. You are married with the customer. And this model is based not on selling ours. This model is based on selling productivity improvement. And we have a very good case here on the wall. If you have time, look through it. Then this business is high margin, but more networking capital necessary. Small orders, local direct. You normally target different customers, different clients on the customer group, more the operational part. Then I look into the product companies, product companies division. These are the standardized equipment into cement and minerals technology. They are all coming out of acquisitions and organic inventions. They have a similar business model, and our excellence is to bring them together and to leverage the synergies what we have in supply R&D, partly in sales too, but of course to leverage on the growth what we have, that we really bring them global, what didn't happen before. If I then look into the cycle, I said it before, we see by analyzing all the cycles, no matter if it's cement or minerals, this typical buying behavior. And I have to say, I learned that at the university too. A typical mining part, typical big capital resource business always has a time where big projects are placed for capacity increase. Greenfield, some brownfield, but huge projects. Then the things are done, and then customers normally take a breath driven by lower commodity prices or their own decision, or as we have it today, by the need for free cash flow. And then you go in the cyclical downturn where service business is so important to increase the productivity on the client side. Before it goes again into product business, which normally comes out of it, that the service, the OPEX gets too high, and then you have to do something with your equipment. This behavior, we in the new organization reflect two divisions on the project part, cement and minerals predominantly. One division, service throughout the whole time, and then the product company division, predominantly on the product side. What does it mean for us? You see on that picture on the top, an artificial because there are, of course, bumps in it for cement as well as for mining. The cement part is the gray part, of course. And you see, and everyone knows it, cement and mineral cycle are not exactly the same from a timing point of view. And I can say it like that, in mining we now go into the trough. We said it already last year that we believe end of 14, beginning of 15, mining will hit the trough, and we stick to that comment. And cement comes out of the trough. The pity is that if one is in the trough, the other is not on the peak, that would be very nice, but they don't do us the favor. When we combine our business in cement as well as in minerals, And then looking into the different divisions, the cycle what we run is more flat than the cycles of the industry where we act in. That is what we call manage the cycle so that we are not forced if we come into a downturn to talk about layoffs of thousands of people and if it comes in the upturn, the recruitment of thousands of people, that we are more harmonized, more flat. But I have to say, I'm not saying that we are out of the cycle. That's not the case. You see that on that graph. But the target of us as a management is to flatten the business cycle for F L. Schmidt based on the industries where we act in. What are the long-term growth and really the levers in it? Each division has now its own growth target, and that's gorgeous, because you know when to trigger it, you know how to finance it, you know how to make the capital allocation before the things are starting. That's preparation for the upturn. If you miss the upturn, as a side comment, we can calculate that you are never ever be able with, no matter how much you would like to overperform, to ramp up to the average in that following cycle. It's important that you know when the cycle comes back, and it's more important that you are prepared. With that reorg, we prepare ourselves. What are the growth areas? And my colleagues will go more into details, but singled engineered products, there is a big demand. EPC, as we said, for minerals and cement, and that's the same. A lot of competence overlap which makes it logical that we are in cement and in minerals, which makes it logical that we have that huge base of colleagues in India who can work on cement and on minerals at the same time. Then we have the customer service, the operation and maintenance business is very important. We have where part business where we don't participate enough. Then in the product companies, alone to go, all over in the countries where we already do as F.L. Schmidt business is a huge internal growth potential for the product companies. And that's not a criticism. When you are in a boom time, of course, you serve your customer base. And that is, of course, the customer base where you come from. Now we help, we work to get them global into all areas. Cross-selling, all the shared functions, that's a given. That's part of the family. We said that in fourth quarter, we will come with an announcement if Eiffel Schmidt looks into mid-market and if that is an option for us in the business. We analyzed that quite deeply. And some of us have some intensive knowledge about that industry and that business. There we had to look into cement as well as into mining. In cement, we clearly see the trend is for mid-market all over EPC offering. But if it comes to the products, the trend is clearly for premium. And that has to do with productivity improvement and the learnings out of the past. Out of that, we don't see the need, we don't see the opportunity for us in equipment to go into mid-market and cement. Now to mining. On the right side of the slide, you see these nice sticks, it's the technology in mining. And the blue bar, is the premium part of all these technologies nowadays. The orange bar is that what we see as mid-market business already. And you see there are quite a lot of different um, scales. Crushing and screening, of course, with a relatively low premium part. And that's not our big business to say. But milling. Flotation, these are big parts and we strongly believe it will come with more mid market. We strongly believe that. And we start to look for opportunities to go into that business. So mid market for mining equipment, there we will go in. We will look into what is possible organic and or MA. This slide is important because we are very often judged on the performance of each division. But not to forget, we have a total cement business and a total mining business. And here you see the estimated, we have to call it because we had a lot of one-offs and uh, write-downs and so on in 2013, how the profitability and the turnover is between the two parts. It's quite similar. Both is important. We have a huge part of the company which is built to serve both in a total merged way, you would not see any difference. The long-term targets are unchanged. There is no change. We stick with that. We think they are right. We think they are good. And we will definitely achieve them. If I go into the divisional targets, this is new. Now, based on the new divisions, we give long-term targets the long-term targets will replace the divisional guidance year on year. And when you look into the different divisions, you see the growth, like in customer service, 5 to 10%, the EBITDA above 15%, and a networking capital above 15%, but not above 20 You simply have to give them inventory close to the customer to make sales happen. Then we look into minerals. It's... 5 to 6% in growth. It's a low EBITDA margin. The low point is 3%, the high point is 8%, but a negative networking capital and cash positive throughout the whole time. And salmon, similar, a little bit lower growth rate based on the industry, 3 to 5, same EBITDA range, and of course, negative networking capital. And then the product companies, a growth rate which is similar based on our internal potential five to 10% and the EBITDA level, which is between 12 and 15%. And a networking capital around 15% to make sales happen. Out of that, I would like to ask Lars to come to the top, but in between, we have that. After each session, we have time for one or two questions, but we have at the end of the whole session, half an hour for Q&A, and, of course, then during the dinner. Here, please. It's a little bit difficult. Can we open up the channel?
1: Can you hear me now? Okay. Okay, thank you. Just one question regarding your mid-market efforts. Mm-hmm. will be um, an increase in SENA or R&D in order to meet those in- increased market shares in mid-market? Do you need to change your cost structure to go into those markets? Thank you.
2: Yes.
0: If you enter mid-market, you have, two, of course, two possibilities. One is organic and one is, of course, through MA. One thing is for sure. if you, No matter how you do it, you always have to take new competence in. Mid-market is a special competence. It's a different sales force. It's a different R&D setup. It's a different supply chain. You can harvest from each other. That is possible. You can learn from each other. But you have to keep it separate. So if we go the organic way, of course it costs something. It doesn't come with the same cost structure and so on. You have to invest something. I was chairman of a mid-market company. I know that very much. One other question before we go to Lars? Yeah?
3: Oh, there, okay. <clears throat> um, in, in your, it's Colin Gibson from HSBC. In your presentation, you make a, 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 a lot of emphasis on your experience and understanding of business cycles. What's the risk that in a business like cement, We've seen some changes that lie outside of regular business cycles. And, of course, I'm thinking about a prolonged period when the world's second biggest economy has been consuming cement per capita, so far above the line of best fit that it's, it's it's hard to know what to think happens next. Yes, but cement is a local business, and that's the beauty
0: in it. Not only that we know it since more than 130 years. If China, you talk about China, which is 50% of the world's cement market, roughly, and the market is not good... A lot of capacity is there, idle. We know that. But cement is a local business. That you, you don't transport cement around the world. You don't do that. So we don't have any effect outside China. It's not there. You can have, I take Latin America, you can have countries. I take Colombia, performing very well, very good business in cement. Venezuela directly beside, no matter why, no cement capital utilization in a good way you can have this patchwork of good markets and bad markets. And we had that forever. So we don't see that coming. The only thing which would be a game changer if someone would come and would have a different thing than cement to make infrastructure happen. We don't see that. Okay, with that, I would like to ask Lars to come to the stage.
4: Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Lars Vestergaard. I'm the CFO of FL Smith. I've been with the company for eight months. Uh, you can see my resume up here. Uh, I've been in big international Danish companies, had a number of different positions. Let's turn into what we're really going to talk about, which is how we're managing FL Smith from a financial perspective. The key thing we want to do in FL Smith is to deliver on our numbers. That is the overarching Uh, mission of the finance team. So what I'm going to talk about today is how we drive financial performance. It's about how we work with capital efficiency, and it's about capital allocation. When we talk about financial performance, there is what we have done. We have been managing the cycle. We have had an efficiency program where we will deliver a run rate improvement of 750 million by the end of the year. The second thing we have is business right-sizing initiatives. If you look at our divisions, you will see that some of them have declined a lot in revenue. When we talk about business right-sizing, it's about adjusting our cost base. That's something we have been doing. Working capital, this is one of the areas where we have not done well, where there is a lot to do for us. We have started that initiative. I'll go into detail what we're doing about it, but it is something we're working very hard to improve. If we look a little bit more into the future, what we're going to do in the finance area, it is to create a more simple business. It is to create a more transparent business. If we look at the reorganization we're doing here, we're combining similar businesses into, similar, or into the same divisions. In the old days, we had a mix of product companies and project businesses. And when you looked at the divisional profits, it was very hard to see what was the underlying performance of these businesses. In the future, that will be more easy for external investors to understand what is the underlying performance in these divisions. But more importantly, it's also easier for us to manage these businesses because now it's the same business model, it's the same KPIs. They will be hit by the same cycle. So we'll get into details about how that enables us to manage the financing of, uh, of the financial side of efforts easier. If you look at Ethel Smith, and in particular the minerals side, we have over the last 10 years built the minerals business from hardly anything. That had been done by acquiring a lot of smaller companies. That, of course, means that we have taken over a lot of small organizations. We have been integrating these, but we're not finished with the integration. So if you look at the finance area as an example, we, of course, bought a lot of finance departments. We will combine these finance teams into a country-based finance organization across the place. Uh, And that will, of course, enable us to get a more professional team in to upgrade our uh, capabilities within finance. We will also be developing more common tools that we will roll out across the business. If we take an example of what we do in the cement business, there we have been running big projects for many, many years. We have excellent tools in managing the project, controlling side of it, that tool we will now take and roll that out across the business. So we'll do more in the same way, and the good thing about FLSMET is, if you look for best practices, it's almost certain that we have them somewhere in the business. What we want to do in the future is to make certain that we use the best practices we have around in the business across the business. The headline is, we want to deliver on our financial promises, and we want to create an infrastructure that really supports that. And the initiatives have been working. If you look at our group profitability, uh, we are now very close to the bottom of the cycle. And still, we are are almost at 10% underlying profitability. We could have delivered more. We are still investing substantially in HR, in IT, in R&D. For us, it's not important to get to the absolute max we could do in the bottom of the cycle. We are investing for the future. And if we look into the divisional performance, we have uh, shown the adjusted profits, because there was a lot of one-off last year, which makes the the underlying performance difficult to to follow. We have two divisions that, despite the place we are in the cycle, are very stable in revenue terms, as well as they deliver double-digit margins. At the place we are in the cycle, these form the backbone of our earnings, Then we have the two project businesses. These are volatile, will always be. We are at the bottom of the cycle. If we turn to the cement business, they are already within the long-term guidance. This is our heritage. This is where we've been doing big projects for many, many years. We know how to do that. If you look at our business right-sizing initiatives, they work. Despite the place we're on the cycle, we are at the targeted level. If we turn to the minerals division, we are running at negative profits, negative underlying profits. This is the place where we have really been hard hit by the, uh, the industry we work in. This is also where we have acquired a lot of companies. We have done a lot to integrate these companies. But as you all know, we've had a big challenge in materials handling where we had to ring fence those businesses to get out of big legacy projects. So what we're doing now we're taking these two subscale divisions and are combining them into one division to really make certain we finalize the integration of all these acquired companies. There is a big synergy potential and we expect there is four to five percent synergy potential by combining these two businesses. And we're confident that in 2016, we will be within the target range of profitability. But of course, this is an integration task. This is merging two global organizations. It will take time, it will cost money, and it will take management attention. That's for sure. If you look at the new divisions, the beauty of it from an internal perspective is that what you need to look at in the divisions is more similar. If we turn to... Thomas talked a little bit about what are the characteristics are of the businesses. If you look at the financial challenges, in the two capital divisions, it's all about managing big projects. That is very different from having a customer service business or a product company division. So the key financial challenges varies across the divisions. And we can now make certain that we do it a lot more specific for these businesses. And the managers knows what tool to use. And the divisional numbers will not be a mix of high margin business, low margin business, it'll be a lot more transparent, both internally and externally. I talked about a stronger finance backbone in the business. When you acquire a lot of smaller companies and you merge them, that of course leaves you with a lot of uh, finance departments. What we're doing now is we're taking all these finance teams and we're putting them together at a country level. If I take an example of Denmark on this site that we are sitting next to, half a year ago we had five finance teams to manage the business we had in Denmark. The same goes for US, the same goes for Germany. What we're now doing is we're putting them together into one team with one strong CFO uh, in, uh, in charge of them. That enables us to professionalize more, to get people in with specialized competence in tax, in treasury, in controlling, in accounting, and enable us to professionalize in a different way than when you have small individual finance teams. That's a transition that we are going through right now. When we talk about asset efficiency, capital efficiency, we have a business, an asset-light model. If you look at the tangible assets we've got on our balance sheet that is a very small part of our business. We are in a volatile business so if we want to be able to do fast business rise sizing we cannot carry a lot of uh, of assets on our balance sheet or fixed assets on our balance sheet. Therefore, it's a key priority for us to remain asset light so we can scale up and down our business uh, more easily. Uh, If you look at the other parts on our balance sheet uh, there is of course an area of uh, intangible assets where you have R&D and IT and these things. Those, we are, have very strict policies for what we put on the balance sheet. Uh, we want to have a, as little put on the balance sheet as possible. We don't want to hide anything, so we have strict policies for that. And that all leaves us with one key focus area when it comes to capital efficiency, and that's working capital. This is an area where we have not been performing well. If you look at FL Smith historically. uh, We have been blessed with a lot of big projects where we've had a lot of big prepayments. That have hit that we actually have not been performing well in this area. We have allowed for large overdues for many years. We have not been uh, disciplined across the business in what we have on our balance sheet in work in progress and so on. We are doing a lot to change this. And this is something we're doing across the business. And... I'm probably showing you a little bit more detail than what you want to know about working capital, but this is just to show you that this is something that we take really serious and something where we need a change in the business. If we are looking about at the cash culture, a lot of companies got that in the financial crisis where they did a lot of working capital projects. We were still blessed with a lot of prepayments at that point in time. So what we're doing to build a cash culture is that whenever we have business reviews, it's a key topic on the agenda. People will not get through a meeting without having that topic on the agenda. It's in all the extensive programs. We're training people in it, so we're really trying to put the focus not only on the PNL but also on the balance sheet. That takes time, but we're doing a lot in this area. If you're looking at the working capital initiatives, and now I can see that they have gone out of. Uh, yeah, uh, you cannot see on the slide what we had here. But if you look at the local initiatives, what we are doing, people need to understand how they can influence this. So we have workshops across the business where we go in, we analyze all business processes, we analyze all data that they have, we have workshops, we have training sessions, and we come out with plans in all places about what we can do about it. If you're sitting in sales or if you are a project manager, how you can influence this financial tool called networking capital is not easy to understand. So it takes time before we really embed a culture of this. The good thing about the working capital projects we have is that we really get in and we train people from the bottom up. And if we look at, we also do some global initiatives where we have escalation processes for our accounts receivables. We have uh, project controlling uh, tools. We're doing a lot in this area. It takes time. We can see when we talk to our business that the understanding of working capital is increasing. Uh, and in a lot of places we are actually starting to see some good fundamental improvements in this area. We still have some areas that needs to improve. We know where they are and we are working very hard to improve them. If we turn to capital allocation, when you are in a cyclical business like we are, we think it's very important to be well capitalized. Therefore we have given ourselves a target that we want to have a net debt EBITDA of below two. Not at two, below two. Uh, we expect to get in that range, uh, very close to that range at the end of the year. Once we get into that range, the priority for us is to have stable dividends. It is to invest in organic growth before acquisitions. If we look at acquisitions, we're not actively looking for acquisition at this point in time. And then if we have more money left, we will look at share buybacks or special dividends. We have just extended our debt facilities, so we have signed a 5 billion Danish syndicate with a group of Danish and international banks. Uh, They have a long maturity. They are with attractive terms, so the liquidity profile and our maturity profile on our debt is strong. So, to sum up what I've been talking about, to really drive financial performance in FLSMED is something that we are working very actively on. We're doing a lot to improve our infrastructure, financial infrastructure, so we can support the business in a stronger way. When it comes to capital efficiency, we're very strict in the way we do investments, both in tangible and intangible assets. And when it comes to working capital, we're doing a lot. We're not perfect. It takes time to get there. And there's a lot for us to do, but I think we are getting very close to having action plans for all the main challenges we have. When it comes to capital allocations, the balance sheet will be within the targeted range in a close future, and it is our target to remain a well-capitalized business. We prioritize organic growth over acquisitions. I think we have time for two questions.
5: Uh, last Chopper from uh, Carnegie. So, in, in your new mining business, uh, you explained four to five percent uh, synergy potential, but you also said it would take time and be costly. So, I wonder what's the nature of these synergies. Should we expect uh, one-offs because you have to finance big layoffs, or how do you see that? And maybe also in, in, in the product companies, can you <laughs> likewise try to quantify the potential from? Uh, transferring best practice between these different product companies? Uh, uh, How much can you gain from improved sourcing? Uh, How much can you save on
4: overhead costs? Yeah, thank you. So if if we turn to to the question about the minerals business, we have not finalized the the complete package for how we deliver these synergies. We are quite certain that they are there. We are in the middle of merging the two organizations, it's very important for us that we do not cut com, uh, critical competences, and we are at a point where we have already taken out a lot of people of these divisions. And it's important that we, once the market comes back, that we are able to deliver. Uh, so we're merging the two organisations, and we will spend the time to do it properly. Where we have overlapping functions, we will look at what we can do, and there, site consolidation and so on. We're in the middle of all that proce- uh, that whole process. Uh, I cannot give you a target of what is the cost, but there will be uh, cost involved on in it. So, so,
5: w- so, so we should assume some
4: one-offs d- down the road? Of course, if you want to take out uh, that amount of uh, synergies, it will cost money. <coughs> uh, if we turn to the product companies division, I think we will uh, let uh, Bjana do his uh, presentation, and then I think you can you can see what the focus is on this <coughs> division. But clearly, you can see what the targeted profit is. And our focus in this division is on growing the business rather than delivering more profit. So, a lot of the improved profit from more growth will be invested in more growth. So, synergies will be invested in growth.
6: Uh, yes, hello. Uh, Patrick Sedberg from uh, Nodea Markets. Uh, two questions, if I may. Um, the first one is regarding uh, acquisitions. I just want to clarify because I, wh- what I heard Thomas said previously was that you want to do acquisition in order to enter the mid-market mining industry, uh, and, and you say you will not do yeah. any, any, you can say actively seek any acquisitions.
0: Yes, I take that because um, not to give here uh, how to say a, a double message into the group we are at the moment actively not looking into M&A. That is the message and that is based on that what we already said last year, organic growth is predominant. We acquire 25 companies and I think integration, finding the synergies is the highest priority of course. Now we look into mid-market. We said we will look into opportunities what we can do in mid-market. We see definitely big business for us in mid-market. We look organically first, that is what we always do, and if that would not work out, as I explained to one of the colleagues, that you need a different sales force, R&D and so on, then, of course, we would take the last exit to look into mid market uh, in MA opportunities in mid-market too. That's the theme. The message is clear. Organic growth has by far the highest priority.
6: Okay, thank you. And my second question is regarding the timing of your group financial targets of, you say, on the profitability side. Uh, you said within the minerals division, you expect to reach there by latest in 2016. Uh, is that the case as well we should read regarding your, uh, you can say, overall group financial targets, that by
4: latest you should reach 10 to 13% EBITDA margin? If it comes to uh, the group targets, then uh, the return on capital employed target we have, if we take that one first, uh, it is clear we need to get more revenue in before we will reach that target. That is, uh, that is clear. Um, and the 10 to 13%, um, that's a long-term target. We are still in a in a difficult part of the cycle, uh, and it's more important for us when the market comes back that we will be able to capture that. If we really wanted to, it would not, it would probably be possible to get there very shortly. But that would mean we would cut our future. We would not be investing in people, in IT, in R&D. Uh, so for us, it's more important to keep the profitability level up and increase it, but it's not to meet the financial target next year that is the absolute overriding principle, because we want to make certain that once growth comes back, that we're able to take more than our fair share of that. Okay, thank you. Okay, and with
0: that, I would like to introduce Bjane Moltke Hansen, the new and little bit uh, already existing divisional president. Bjane? Yeah.
7: Thank you very much, Thomas and Lars. Uh, I hope you can hear me all. Um, what I will tell you about is the new product company's division, and I hope that you, after this presentation, know what it is and what we are aiming for. My name is... Uh... Okay... Okay. My name is Bjørne Molke Hansen. I have been in uh, the company for 30 years. A little bit untraditional career. The first 20 years was with building materials. It was Unicorn, so it was ready-mixed concrete. It was our fiber cement business. This is separate, as you know, we still have. And then it was Old World Portland uh, Holding, which was actually those days the biggest uh, building material company in Denmark globally white cement then you all know that we sold our building materials due to the strategy change in 2004 exactly 10 years ago and I got the challenge to build up the customer service division from less than 1 billion to now 8 to to 10 times more in the meantime I also looked after three of the product companies uh, mainly in the cement business the last five years I've been in India and I'm relocating now first of January to Copenhagen again, where I have my office. and looking very much forward to this new challenge in the product companies division. So this is the background, basically a life with product companies. And what is this new division about? Yeah, it is nine product companies all delivering world-class products into the cement and minerals industry. We have group businesses with the same business model and the same integrated business model. At the same time, we also host our group supply chain organization and our quality. Group supply chain, because it's so important, we have all the workshops and the divisions. And you know product companies is characterized with assembly or production. So there's a very logical link that we have included our group supply chain and quality in this division. A product company is, of course, completely different com- paired to a project, which is a site where we, over maybe 24 months, build a big plant, and then we change and relocate the people to a new site. Here we have day in and day out, year in and year out, production assembly in a workshop. We have a global footprint, more than 3,000 people. And as you can see, product companies are fairly stable, you can see here, on the left side that even in these tough years we have a stable revenue and a decent EBITDA ratio. But we have a good growth potential. As you can see, what we are tipping into is the big cement market and the cement market of roughly 10 billion US dollars, a minerals market that is four times bigger, roughly 40 billion US dollars. So the total market we are attacking from the product companies division will be fifty billion US dollars. And as you know, we are out of the trough in cement. It's much more local market. So there we see a growing market already. And then we have the minerals where we are not out of the trough yet. We are we will only see growth really within a year. The nine product companies are all well-known, leading brands. We have Avon. Avon is headquartered in Melbourne, in Australia, and is doing, size, uh, doing sizes. We have Krebs, that produces and sells cyclones and slurry pumps, are headquartered in Tucson, in Arizona. We have Buffalo, that is headquartered in South Africa, doing feeder breakers and feeders, mainly for the coal industry. They are all predominantly in minerals. Then we have Mark Gear, that is headquartered in Switzerland, in Winterthur, but with production in Elblank in Poland and in India. And is doing gear reducers for, actually both cement and mining, but predominantly right now in cement. And then we have FISTER, world-class feeding equipment for dosing of coal, to primarily cement and power industry headquartered in Augsburg in Germany and then Ventomatic that is in Italy Bergamo close to Milano that is uh, producing and selling world-class packing plants palletizers and equipment for dosing cement in bags and you know in emerging markets almost all cement is sold into bags and then So these three product companies are actually predominantly working in the cement industry. And then we have Müller in Hamburg that is doing uh, conveying systems for flyers and power industry and cement industry. And we have automation headquartered here in Copenhagen, but worldwide, of course, doing the whole flow sheet of automation and control system, test system, sampling systems, and full laboratory equipment for cement plant and uh, the minerals industry. And then we have AirTech doing air pollution control system filters and making sure that our customers do live up to the requirement when it comes to uh, emissions. They are all free working in both industries. Where do they sit these product companies today? Before 1st of January, Eibon and Krebs were in the Minerals Processing Division. Müller was actually located in Customer Services. Fister and Ventomatic today have their home in cement. And Buffalo, AirTech, Automation and Markgear are all in the Material Handling Division it goes without saying and this is probably not the real right homes for all of them and that's the reason why also that we have uh, now formed this new product companies division it's very important that you understand that these product companies are very crucial to our full flow sheet and to in both cement and in minerals and here's a good example here's a cement plant and as you can see we have marked gear a gear is between the motor and the mill for instance We have FISTA, that is dosing coal feed into the kiln or dosing coal from the coal mill. We have automation doing everything, the cabling, the control system, the whole plant control system for cement plant. And then we have Ventomatic, making sure that you can actually dose dose 5,000 bags per hour with a very high accuracy when you bag cement. And then, of course, AirTech, making sure that we have the environmental issues and KPIs under control in the cement plant, and Muller doing the dosing. All standardized products, and here we have a typical flow sheet for a copper plant. We have the automation again all over the entire plant. We have Abon and buffalo (coughs) doing the sizing and the, the feeding. We have Mark Gear again in connection with all the mills. And we have Krebs doing the slurry pumps or the centrifuges. Uh, and then we have uh, Müller doing the dosing again. So why this product companies division? Yet yeah, together you should know that it is really an o- growth engine for Effel Schmidt. There's a good potential growing this here to take these companies global, to go into adjacent businesses using the same technology, but going into other industries than our core six industries. And we, of course, want to do that by driving this excellence among these companies. Because we have the same business model. And there's a strong synergy between the companies. All standardized products opposite the product sitting in the project divisions that are all engineered and customized. There's a lot more local direct sales from a product company, and they have a fully integrated value chain. So we develop the product in a product company, we assemble it or produce it, we sell it, and we have the aftermarket also. So it's a full-fledged value chain in a product company typical global typical regional typical to a segment of customers And then of course we in this division also we have our assembly expertise and excellence from our workshop for instance in China and in India It's critical for our one source vision they have all all sit on very important technologies. And then we have synergies, of course, with the rest of the FLS organization because of that. And every time we sell new projects. And then, very important, it's stable business and it's profitable. You should know they are different in size. The area we have, these are not actually the product companies. These are more the areas we are within, the businesses we are within. You can see we have Cyclone and Pumps as actually the largest area where we are in now. And we have gears, and of course you can imagine that this is Mark gear as the smallest one right now. But they have all very strong position. Most of them are actually one number one or number two in their areas already. You should know some of the product companies like Ventomatic are 100% into the cement area, and some of the product companies like Avon doing sizes are 100% into the minerals industry and then we have a mix in between. But the beauty is that we, one third of the total division's revenue is within, within minerals, one third is within cement, and one third is within adjacent businesses. And as I see it, when we start growing this now, we will actually not change that split very much. We see the same potential actually for growth in the three areas. We sell our products from the product companies both internally and externally. This is maybe an, a surprise to you that we actually sell so much externally. Eighty percent is sold externally outside Eiffel So we have a solid market position outside Eiffel But this is really good because we are the front runners selling to the entire industry and selling to even all our peers. So. If eiffel gets get an order, it's very good. If Eiffel-Smith doesn't get an order, it's of course not so good, but then we can sell it to our peers and we do it. And why do we do it? Because we have world-class products. They're competitive and we are fast to the market. So the growth potential is there in existing markets and in adjacent market. At the same time, of course, we have an upside internally when the upswing starts again in the minerals industry, and now when we see the good market conditions coming back again in cement, of course we will sell in there. And then we have integrated service. The service part is already pretty substantial in the product companies, which is very good, and which make these companies very resilient also. So our vision is really to take these leading these product companies in our core industries to the full global potential. And the ambition is to grow the businesses 5 to 10 percent annually over the cycle. It is to reach an EBITA margin as high as possible, of course, but between 12 to 15 percent. We will run this with a networking capital loading of roughly 15%. Remember, we have workshops and we have high aftermarket content, so we need to have something on the shelves. But the benefit, of course, is that we have high margins. And then we aim for a service market share of more than 50% and a number one and number two position in the marketplace. How will we do that? Yeah, we will uh, run along two avenues. The short and medium term, we will drive growth initiatives. That was a globalization of all our companies and expanding into adjacent markets and strengthen our product portfolio. Then we will drive excellence. Again, they have more or less the same business model all. That would be the same KPIs. It's like a cement plan, same KPIs if you run 10 of these. And, of course, the best practices we will utilize across all the companies. And then we have the supply chain excellence and quality. And then, of course, we will always go for improved efficiency. Long term, yeah, we will actively develop this portfolio. And we will actually develop the product companies. And, of course, we will look into M&A as well. And we will even look into products sitting already in the FL Schmidt organization. So, I hope that you have a better understanding now of what is the product company's division. It is crucial for our one-source vision in FL Schmidt and our flow sheet deliveries. We combine the leading companies within cement and minerals, with similar business model. And when we do that, we will have a growth engine for Eiffel Schmidt. It's stable business, at high margins. And at the same time, we have our supply chain excellence in the division. And this combination will be very crucial for Eiffel Schmidt. I've been 30 years in the company, and, I've of course, been through a lot of things, but I think that we have never had such a transparent uh, structure as we have now with two project divisions, with one product company's division, and with one service division that can drive uh, the business. It's transparent, and it's much more easy to manage. Thank you. Questions? Last.
0: <coughs> Lars.
5: So, so, so my question, uh, I asked last b- before, so, so looking at the synergies, uh, from where do you see them coming? Is it mainly on overhead cost? Is it on sourcing? And uh, how fast do you think you can realize them? I and, of course, if you can quantify them, it would also be, be interesting.
7: Yeah, I mean, the, it's quantified with a 12 to 15%. This is our, what we are aiming at when it comes to the EBITDA ratio and you should know we we want to grow now this is the strategy like we did in customer services but we want to grow now and and we want to do it with the synergies will be on the sales side on the marketplace because we have we have not used the potential of going blow global we have some of the companies that are pretty local and we have to use the FL smith organization our other product companies also in the local markets remember we are in almost 40 markets so we are already there and then the second biggest thing is actually on the sourcing side. I don't see we will take a lot of cost out. Of course, there will be some on the back office. But remember, we have to have the resources for growing the business. So, so the difference
5: between the EBITDA level you're seeing now and your target, that's basically
7: the synergies? That's, that's the synergies. But, but I mean, we already, as you probably saw on the graphs, uh, we are already within that band of the 12 to 15%. So what is really important now? Of course, we will try to squeeze up as much as possible, but but uh, but uh, it will be the growth that will be the crucial thing here.
5: But then I don't understand what the synergies are, how big they are. Then you. you yeah, the
7: sales synergies will be yeah. to sell more. That's one thing. And then of course we will take out some uh, cost from uh, in the variable cost because of cheaper sourcing. One thing, a good example, for instance. Um, in India, we have a, a workshop with 800 people in the Delhi area. This workshop is a dedicated workshop where Ventomatic is in that workshop, Fista is in that workshop, and Mark is in that workshop. This is You will see more of these kind of things.
8: Thanks. Uh, thank you, Mike Fleming from FMR. Um, You're not only in the target range, you're on the high end of the target range. (laughs) Presumably, you would get the benefit of operating leverage when the cycle returns. I assume these revenues are maybe cyclically low. So are you intending to invest a lot of the benefits of the operating leverage into sales organization, into things like that?
7: This is is what we want to do. We really want to invest as much as possible in this growth. We know it takes a lot to grow. Business a lot, and and uh, so so we will reinvest this. And I'm actually comfortable that we're already within the the range. Uh, so. That
0: last question for in between.
6: Um, I, I have a question regarding your creps part of your business. Uh, I am just wondering how much uh, overlap is down there on the product portfolio with the Weir with Group, uh, and, and secondly, the market share on, on the slurry pumps area. Well, you, you said, at least you, you must be number two, so how big, a mar- how big of the market do you have of the slurry pump market?
7: Yeah, I mean, I will put it that way, I mean, you have to see Krebs as two things. We are in the cyclones, where we are, have a very strong market position, and then we are in the pumps, where we, are, we do not have so strong a market position pr- compared to the, to, to the cyclone business. But, of course, uh, we see this market as a very good opportunity to expand, and, uh, and this we want to do. And, of course, uh, uh, the company you are mentioning, Wear, is, is one of them. Uh, yeah. But it's a much bigger
6: company compared to Krebs. Okay, thank you. Uh, what about the product overlap? You didn't mention anything. Is it only the slurry pumps you have on, on, the, on the slurry to, hand? To, to Wear?
7: Well, yeah. No, no, the, the
6: pumps and uh, the cyclones, of course, yeah. But
0: primarily into the pumps. Okay. Then I would like to introduce. Thanks, Thanks. Bjarne. And then I would like to introduce a well-known salmon expert, Pia.
2: It's this one, yeah, not the other. And
0: with his division.
2: Thank you very much, Thomas and Bjarne. Good afternoon to everybody. I fully realize that I'm the only thing standing between you and a break but I still hope that you will spend a few minutes listening to my story to talk about my favorite subject, the world of cement. My name is Pierre Meinert Christensen. Thomas, he told you that he has... Now it's working. Thomas, he told you he's been here for 24 years, or he's been in minerals for 24 years. I cannot beat that, but I've been 22 years in cement, 22 years in F.L. Schmidt, I've been a lot around. I've been eight years in Asia. Five of these were in China. Quite an experience, I must say. Now I'm happily back here in Denmark. I am currently heading the cement division in the setup we have now. And I will also be heading the future cement division going forward from from 2015. So I look very much forward to talk more about this. (coughs) Let's first have a look at the cement division in brief. We develop, we design, and we install premium equipment and full flow sheet engineering solutions for cement plants. The way we do it is out of three centers. We have a main center here in Valby in Copenhagen, covering the EMEA APAC area. Then we have a large center in Bethlehem, United States, where we cover the Americas. And then we have our huge center in Chennai in India, where we cover India and some surrounding markets. We have been supplying cement plants for more than 100 years and we are proud to say that we are the ones who have supplied most cement plants in the world. In terms of employees, we are 1300 in the division. We use an outsource model, so this is, these are predominantly engineers and then we source mostly of our equipment and products, the manufacturing we are having made from external vendors and suppliers. If you look at the right side of the chart, you will have the figures for the last almost three years. You will see the revenue and the blue bars. And then you will also see the EBDA percentage. It is fluctuating quite a lot back in 2012 and 13. The reasons for this is mainly what you can call one-offs in 2012, positively impacting in terms of closing the legacy projects we had from the so-called good times. On the other hand, in 2013, we have negative effects that was from the efficiency program one-offs, and it was also from an arbitration that we were in. So you will see now that we are going into the ranges that is also our target range, as I will be talking to later in the presentation. So what are really the fundamentals of the cement division? What is our excellence? What is our reason to be here and to win in the marketplace? We firmly believe that we have best-in-class risk and project management. And we do combine this with our full scope of supply of sustainable cement technologies all within the premium technology segment. In terms of our strategic focus, we will harvest our superior competences within EP contracts, our traditional focus area where we supply machinery and equipment for complete cement plants combined in a package, but mainly with engineering and procurement in the past. What we will increase the focus on going forward is also to include the construction part. The market is going in that direction. We will follow that, of course, and that's the way that we can increase our part of this business to also participate much more actively in EPC contracts out there. Now, we do not do the construction ourselves. There we stick to our core business of designing and delivering the best products and projects. We will do the construction in cooperation with competitive and reliable construction partners. That will be global partners, that will be regional partners that will ensure that together we can deliver a very competitive package to the benefit of our customers. Another very important focus area for us, engineered single equipment, what we also call products, and then also in terms of upgrade products, projects. You see an example here on the picture to the right of one of the EPC projects we are delivering with one of our partners. We will see much more of that going forward. But what is the market we are playing in? What has the cement consumption been looking like? How can we estimate that it will look in the future? Please take a look at the chart here to the right side and what you will see is that cement consumption globally has really been more or less constantly growing throughout the years. Of course, as with everything, there has been a few dips, but really, if you look at the big scale, and I think it's clearly demonstrated here in the chart, cement is a growing business, and we have very good reasons to believe that that will continue for many, many years in the future. We can look at the drivers of cement growth. First of all, of course, economic growth that drives everything. Population growth, which we still see around the world. Investments in infrastructure increasing a lot in more and more countries. Urbanization is a trend that you see almost everywhere. And then, of course, industrialization in the countries that are not yet there. These are all factors that impact positively on the cement consumption globally. So historical figures is one thing. Most important for us is, of course, what does the future look like? We use a lot of external sources. Some of you here make very good reports on that as well. We have our own internal estimates based on our market knowledge. No matter how we look at it, which scenarios you place. And these scenarios are taken from a report that was released just recently called the Global Cement Top 100 Report. But if we look elsewhere, we see similar scenarios. And the message really is whether you pick the best, the most likely, or what here they call the worst scenarios, cement consumption will continue to grow for many, many years ahead. That's why it's such an attractive market for us to play in. And we do see that growth coming already in 2015, meaning also that we will expect to increase our order intake already next year. Another way to look at it is to see how cement growth typically develops as countries develop from so-called emerging markets and into more mature countries. This is a very interesting chart for us, because it tells us a lot about how we can expect the future development will be, not only on a global level, on a macro level, but also more regionally and locally in the various countries. On the y-axis, you see the cement consumption per capita, the different countries, and on the x-axis, you see the GDP per capita. And while the dots, of course, are scattered, there is a relatively clear path that countries follow when they develop in terms of their GDP per capita. At some point, typically, a maximum is reached and then it tapers off when you come into more mature markets. Clearly see that in Europe, United States, Australia. But until countries reach that point, there's a strong development in cement consumption, which is growing faster than the rate of growth in the general economy. And when we look at this slide, we can see that countries like Nigeria, India, Brazil, Colombia, Indonesia, very populous countries coming from relatively low levels, but they have a huge growth path ahead of them, which will mean a lot more cement consumption in the future, and more importantly for us, many more cement plants to supply. We will participate very actively in this, and we definitely see that the market is there, short-term, medium-term, and definitely also long-term. So, to play in this market... What is our vision? What is our ambition? We want to be, we want to remain, our customers preferred full service provider of sustainable cement technologies. We also have an ambition in terms of finances. Thomas talked about it in his introduction. Let me also mention it here. We are in the more significant part of the business. Cement projects, product business is relatively volatile Following the cycles, we look at our growth over the cycle, and what we see is 3 to 5 percent over the cycle growth annually. Typically, we would expect the market to grow in the range of 3, 3.5 percent over a cycle. We expect to grow more than that, probably more in the range of 5 percent, in order to regain, to grab market share, which I will talk a little bit more to in the coming slides. In terms of EB it has also reflected the cyclical nature of the business we are in here. So what we say is that we should stay within a range of 3 to 8%. I'm sure we will be allowed to go above the 8%, but we should definitely not go below the 3% level, reflecting the nature of our business. Very important for the project business we are in is that we will maintain positive cash flow and a negative networking capital throughout project execution We saw in the so-called boom years, up until 2008, 2009, the impact it had on our networking capital, very positive, and very positive also on the whole group networking capital. Then we have now been in the bottom of the cycle, and we have shown that we can manage that, and we're actually maintaining a very good negative networking capital, and that's a very important part of the business model we have in the cement division, in terms of improving capital efficiency of the whole group. So let's take a look at what it is we deliver. And I think the uniqueness of our place in the cement world is that we are able to deliver everything when it comes to the products, bundling that in the complete project packages, and then also serving the market for many, many years after we have installed and delivered the plants. You see here in the top part of the slide, some of all the products we are delivering, Bjarne, he talked to the products which are now anchored in the product companies division, part of what you see here. The main process equipment, the so-called more engineered and specialized products in the cement plants, still reside in the cement division, where we develop them, design them, deliver them. Then we put it all together in a package and get the complete plant, as you see here, which we will deliver either as EP or going forward more as EPC plants. And then very importantly, we are here to serve what we are delivering for the next many years. Could be with O&M contracts, which we will see much more of going forward, but of course also just to service with all the spare parts and normal services that we can deliver to our customers. Cement is all over the world, it's global, but it's also a regional business with regional and local characteristics. We are placed all over the world We are a global company, but with a local presence. This enables us to cater to the different types of markets, no matter which part of the cycle they may be in, no matter what type of market it is. You take a more mature market like Europe, typically what you will see here is upgrades and productivity improvements. We are realistic. We don't see a lot of new cement plants being installed there. On the contrary, if we go a few thousand kilometers south, we really now see growth starting to come back in Africa, which is great news. We are positioning ourselves in that part of the world, and there we see typically complete projects, both EP and EPC, and that's also a place where we have very good chances to bundle that with our O&M services. So if you now look at some of the latest orders we have got in cement, it has been in Africa, and that's also where we have most of our O&M contracts. Very promising market. Just talking to a couple of the other regions, India, we have of course high hopes to India in the coming years. Long term, the potential is fantastic in India. We are very well positioned there with our setup with several thousand engineers in Chennai. North America, a place that you would maybe think not much was happening, but actually quite a lot has been happening. There are the NISEP rules, which are the environmental regulations that requires lower emissions, and with our process technologies, we are very well positioned there. And we've got several major orders just in the recent year. Sorry about that. So let me talk a little bit more about our unique competences. I think I mentioned it before best in class project management and risk control capabilities. Something that we have shown over the years we have, we're going to leverage that in the whole group. We are offering the complete solutions, that being EP, EPC, projects, products, and upgrades. Especially our ability, which we're the only ones in the industry who have, to offer combined EPC and O&M packages, we call that design, build, and operate, is one of our unique offerings. We do have the global reach with the local presence, We strongly believe that we are the ones who can deliver the most reliable plants and upgrades. We do have unique competences in process knowledge and emissions control. That's also why we have grabbed the largest share of the market in the US, where the focus is very strong on emissions, and we all know that it will also come to many other places around the world in the coming years. And then not least, general very strong focus on R&D. We ensure that we have the most efficient products, but also of course at competitive prices. One of the reasons that I'm so confident that we can continue our path in that direction is that we have in Eiffel Schmidt the largest R&D center in the industry. It is located at Dania, and Fjord. You see the center on the photo to the right. It's actually almost a mini cement plant. It used to be a real cement plant. We took that and developed it into our laboratory to develop new cement technologies. It's a very strong platform for us to develop develop from. We do research there, but of course very important, this is where we develop our products with one key focus, and that is to increase the productivity for our customers. This is what they want, and this is what we can deliver to them. That could be in terms of decreasing energy consumption, which I think you all know is very high in a cement plant. Reducing emissions, I talked to already. And then very important, what we see in the coming years is the increased use of alternative fuels. We have some unique products in that area and we are developing those further. Financing is very important when we deliver our projects. We have a very good cooperation with many financing institutions around the world. EKF, who I know is here today also, is one of our very good partners. Together with them we are able to help the client brokering the deals to get the financing package together and thereby ensuring that our value proposition and our competitive situation makes us very unique and strong. One of the projects we got earlier this year, Project in Congo, was a very good example of a project where we were an active part in getting the financing package together. It is finalized now, and we are very happy that we can work so closely with our partners, not least EKF. Let me just here in the end talk a little bit again to this design, build, and operate model because we really feel that we have a unique and strong position here. We will go in and we will make a tailor-made, designed cement plant to our customers. We can do that as an EPC solution in a partnership with an experienced partner. You will see here the picture below, which I think we have also in the room elsewhere. It's a very good example of that. In Egypt, we delivered the complete plant on EPC terms. Now we have been operating the plant for several years. And we have demonstrated to the customers in Egypt, and actually to many more who have visited this plant, that we are capable of doing this very efficiently. And we guarantee the output to the customer, so basically he just have to deal with selling the product on the market. So we can actually put that in a more simple way. If the customer, he has the raw materials, and they are almost in every place in the world, and then of course he needs a permission to run the plant, <coughs> and the market is there, we will basically take care of the rest. We will make sure the plant is being designed, it's being built, it's being commissioned. Then we will also run the plant, and we will guarantee the output. This is what we call 360 degree certainty for the customer, and we feel that's a very strong value proposition, which you will see much more of in the coming years. So if I can just come with some of the key takeaways on my last slide here. Our offering of complete projects, individual products, and upgrades. Importantly, we will increase our focus on EPC projects, but of course, we are aware of the risks. We believe we have the competences competences and the know-how to mitigate those. And of course, we will still harvest on our long-standing experience in delivering EP projects to customers all over the world. What we will also do is to increase the focus on product and upgrade sales. We do act, as Bjarne he also talked about, as a sales lead for the product companies. So we will, of course, when we go out and we sell a product project, include all products from the whole group. Then last but not least, we partner with the customer services division on this design, build and operate model. We will promote that a lot. But even if we talk about the more traditional business, we will ensure that when we sell a project, we have spares and service sales for Many many years ahead in the future, and with that, I think we will take some questions. Yes.
9: Is uh, Christian Johansen from Danske Bank? Um, Now that that you started uh, out mentioning you're not entering the mid-market within cement, can you just elaborate a bit on how you're going to withstand the competition from the mid-market players?
2: Interesting question, and as Thomas alluded to, we have made a very careful analysis both in cement and in minerals in terms of mid-market. What we actually see in cement, maybe it's not so well known uh, unless you're really in the industry, is that when we talk about the key process machines And actually a lot of the products that Bjarne is selling in the product division, most parts of the world, they go for premium (laughs) equipment on all that machinery. You talk about the mills, the coolers, the gears, all of this. It's actually premium equipment on most cement plants. So the mid-market offering you mainly see is this model of coming in with the C part, the construction part, where you can say the integrators, they come in with their more mid-market, low-cost model. And that's the way we are going to deal with that as well. And that's also what I tried to mention in my presentation here with, you can say, more low-cost cost partners in construction business, but of course also the reliable ones where we can mitigate the risks. But that's really the background why we do not at this stage see us entering into the mid-market in terms of equipment for cement plant. Because really, if you look around the world, vast majority of what is sold is premium process machinery.
3: thanks very much you, um, your second bullet point says increased focus on epc while mitigating the risks could you elaborate because i think you have an audience for who you know get slightly allergic to the phrase epc having been on the receiving end of uh, epc related problems in many other companies thanks you
2: are absolutely right and that's also why we mentioned very importantly mitigating the risks We have been in the industry for many years and it's not that we have not done EPC projects. We have in fact done that for many years, but the relative proportion has been small. Now the market is going in that direction and needless to say, if we want to participate in that market, we also have to go there. What gives me a lot of confidence is the competences that we do have in our cement division, which we will develop to be the whole group very important part of the division now is what we have is called the EPC group, anchored in the cement division, because that's where we see most EPC projects short-term, but will really be to the benefit of the whole group, including minerals, of course. We do have a lot of competences in EPC already. We have actually, within the last five, seven years, executed more than 10 EPC contracts, which maybe is not so well known. We do execute them already now. We are very much aware of the risks associated with this, But we strongly believe that with the competences we have within the group, we are able to manage it. And I think if you look at the last five, ten EPC projects that we have managed, it has actually proven that we do have the competences to do it. But needless to say, it's a key focus area which we will, by establishing separate function, focusing on all EPC projects in the group, will only have the job of focusing on how do we mitigate the risks while still remaining competitive in that area.
5: Slightly related questions, so with the growing EPCs here, wouldn't your margins come under pressure because there would be a bigger proportion of revenue which you just invoiced through? And then then a household question, when you announce an order, how do I know how much goes to cement and how much
2: goes to bjarne? To to the first one, um, of course, you are right. If you include, include the construction part and you have to pass it through your books, which is by the way not always the case even if it's an EPC because you may still have consortiums or others where you can say it is managed by an EPC project but it doesn't necessarily go through your books. And you're right, if it goes through the books of course there will be a certain thinning effect. Now the absolute bottom line and the effect on return on capital employed, network capital and so on should not be affected. So that's really the way we look at it and we still believe that with the things what you mentioned here we will be able to stay within the band. We will normally mention when we have included uh, some of our product companies' equipment in our press releases. You may have seen that. I think that's to the extent that you will uh, short-term be able to have a feeling of this.
5: So I'll get a price list from from
2: Bjarne? Well, I think you should give Bjarne a call and uh, see if you can get it. (laughs) Thanks. Okay. Um, Now we have a break. And I
0: would like to have us back... On, uh, on presentation mode in 15 minutes. Thanks a lot.
10: FL Smith is the world's only total supplier to the cement and minerals industries. More than 10,000 employees embody FL Smith's commitment to creativity, reliability, and excellence. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, F.L. Smith is boosting customers' production capacity. At the same time, new technology and processes cut production costs and the environmental impact of cement and minerals processing to the benefit of customers and our surroundings. Close to 3 billion tons of cement is produced around the globe every year. Nearly half depends in some way on F.L. Smith know-how. Over 125 years, F.L. Smith has introduced more than 1,200 patents. With the world's leading engineers and technology, F.L. Smith covers all areas of the cement production process, from line design to emissions control. This is why the industry's leading players trust F.L. Smith as their preferred partner. Smith Minerals works side by side with customers to refine and improve minerals operations. Smith Minerals is the first supplier to provide best in class technologies to every aspect of the mining and minerals industries. Its portfolio covers the entire flow sheet. From raw material to finished mineral. All this makes FL Smith Minerals the industry's one source and one partner, applying technology and expertise to any metallic or non metallic mineral process. F.L. Smith's history is one of expansion and innovation. F.L. Smith was founded by engineer Frederick Leso Smith in 1882, working from a single room in his mother's house in Copenhagen. The company built its first cement plant in 1887. And by the end of the 1800s, Ethel Smith's tube mill, gear and kiln designs were revolutionizing cement production. Ethel Smith has always supplied pyroprocessing technology to the minerals industry. A new era began with the acquisition of Fuller Company in the 1990s. Further acquisitions followed, including Dor Oliver-Einko and Krebs in 2007. With expertise in both these industries, FL-Smit is engineering the future. fl Smith's three major project centers provide unique research and development capabilities. Engineers in India Denmark and the US are linked by the latest technology, allowing them to create synergies between cement and minerals operations. Working closely with the customer, F.L. Smith engineers offer solutions that match individual needs. Always connected. Engineers fine-tune equipment On site, so every product achieves maximum efficiency. Innovation, inspiration, and technology tie everything together, inspiring architects, product designers, and urban planners alike. increasing demand, Ethel Schmidt is always striving to create bigger and more efficient plants. The world's first 12,000 ton per day cement production line. The world's biggest alumina calcina. The world's largest field-proven flotation cells. FL-Smit is also setting new standards in alternative fuels, waste treatment and emission control. Developments like the hot disc allow plants to burn waste cleanly and sustainably, while an FL-Smit fabric filter cuts dust emissions by more than 99%. The plant begins a new chapter. Customers have access to more than 1,300 customer services staff. FL Smith has the largest spare parts stock in the industry and it provides comprehensive, hands on training and ease. the full A to Z of services, FL-Smit helps customers maintain, improve, and operate their plants, achieving better output and lower operational costs. A new FL-Smit concept, design, build, and operate, guarantees plant efficiency. From design through construction and operation, F. L. Smith runs the entire plant, ensuring high output and trouble-free production. The world is searching for sustainable business solutions to manage the planet's resources. Everyone is asking, what next? Our engineers are proudly leading the research into cement and minerals production. Creating solutions that will work 10, 50, or 100 years from now. smith is one of constant improvement every fl smith employee strives to advance our products and services In every aspect of the cement and minerals industries, we explore the possibilities offered by new technologies in our search for sustainable solutions. With this commitment to excellence, we will remain the industry's preferred partner well into the future. FL Smith is the world's only total supplier to the cement and minerals industries. More than 10,000 employees embody FL Smith's commitment to creativity, reliability, and excellence. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, F.L. Smith is boosting customers' production capacity. At the same time, new technology and processes cut production costs and the environmental impact of cement and minerals processing to the benefit of customers and our surroundings. Close to 3 billion tons of cement is produced around the globe every year. Nearly half depends in some way on F.L. Smith know-how. Over 125 years, F.L. Smith has introduced more than 1,200 patents. And with the world's leading engineers and technology, FL Smith covers all areas of the cement production process. From line design to emissions control. This is why the industry's leading players trust FL Smith as their preferred partner. F.L.Smit Minerals works side by side with customers to refine and improve minerals operations. F.L.Smit Minerals is the first supplier to provide best-in-class technologies to every aspect of the mining and minerals industries. Its portfolio covers the entire flow sheet. From raw material to finished mineral. All this makes FL Smith Minerals the industry's one source and one partner. Applying technology and expertise to any metallic or non-metallic mineral process. F.L. Smith's history is one of expansion and innovation. F.L. Smith was founded by engineer Frederick Leso Smith in 1882, working from a single room in his mother's house in Copenhagen. The company built its first cement plant in 1887. And by the end of the 1800s, F.L. Smith's tube mill, gear, and kiln designs were revolutionizing cement production. F.L. Smith has always supplied pyroprocessing technology to the minerals industry. A new era began with the acquisition of Fuller Company in the 1990s. Further acquisitions followed including Dor Oliver Einko and Krebs in 2007. With expertise in both these industries, F.L. Smith is engineering the future. F.L. Smith's three major project centers provide unique research and development capabilities. Engineers in India, Denmark, and the U.S. are linked by the latest technology, allowing them to create synergies between cement and minerals operations. Working closely with the customer, F.L. Smith engineers offer solutions that match individual needs. Always connected. Engineers fine tune equipment on site so every product achieves maximum efficiency. Innovation, inspiration, and technology tie everything together, inspiring architects, product designers, and urban planners alike. To meet increasing demand, F. L. Smith is always striving to create bigger and more efficient plants. The world's first 12,000 tonne per day cement production line. The world's biggest alumina calcina. The world's largest field-proven flotation cells. F.L. Smith is also setting new standards in alternative fuels, waste treatment and emission control. Developments like the hot disc allow plants to burn waste cleanly and sustainably, while an F.L. Smith fabric filter cuts dust emissions by more than 99%. Of a plant begins a new chapter. Customers have access to more than 1,300 customer services staff. FL Smith has the largest spare parts stock in the industry and it provides comprehensive, hands on training and ease. the full A to Z of services, FL-Smit helps customers maintain, improve, and operate their plants, achieving better output and lower operational costs. A new fl concept, design, build, and operate, guarantees plant efficiency. From design through construction and operation. F. L. Smith runs the entire plant, ensuring high output and trouble-free production. The world is searching for sustainable business solutions to go manage on? the planet's resources. It's like in business huh? when I say something, no What next? Our engineers than you I'm
11: just, I'm just out of the way of... Yep.
0: So, the next presentation is about the new minerals division, and I would like to introduce Manfred Schaffer, your
12: stage. Thank you very much, Thomas, Um, and thanks very much for all of you coming back after the break. I'm actually very excited to have this opportunity today to talk to you about the new minerals division. But before I do so, I will start with a formal introduction of myself. My background is mechanical engineering, but I have been... Uh, in the mineral, in minerals and mining industry all of my career. The last 20 years I've worked with Sandvik Mining, and the last 10 years I was responsible for the surface mining business in Sandvik, which is in the nature and in the, in the size very similar to the minerals business what we have here. It's the mix of products and projects, and of course it's the same customer base. I uh, it, um, onboarded Eiffel Smith four months ago with the task to form the new minerals division, and, of course, then to run it and to optimize the organization. I've mentioned that most of my career I've been in the mining industry, and uh, I've been through several cycles. I've been through a lot of ups and downs, and I understand the drivers behind the mining industry. So I would really like to start here with uh, summarizing the tough situation the mining industry is in. We've all talked a lot and heard a lot about the situation where mining is getting more and more difficult. The ore grades are dropping, mines are more remote, and, uh, of course, uh, the mines are getting deeper, and so on and so forth. In other words, you have to spend more energy, more money, and more capital investment in order to get the same production out of the mine. In addition, the mines are facing difficulties in terms of increasing costs from increasing labor costs and also from energy and material costs. And at the same time, the mines are also facing increased pressure from environmentalists and also have issues with uh, the corporate social responsibilities, the rights to mine in certain countries and so on and so forth. At the same time, we've seen a huge drop in the commodity prices over the last few years. So what the mines are facing is really on one hand constantly increasing costs and on the other hand the revenues are dropping and they're really faced now with what we call the productivity gap and the productivity gap is widening and this will not disappear because the challenge with constantly increasing costs will always be there and this is when you listen to most of the mining CEOs you will hear them now that they talk a lot about increasing their productivity. And this is important for us. At the same time, of course, they have also had a lot of cost overruns on the recent projects, and they have also challenges in terms of providing the shareholder return because of uh, all the money they have invested in the mines. Now, how can Ethel Smith play a role in all this? We are positioning ourselves with the new minerals division to become the partner for the mining houses to help them to reduce this productivity gap. We're doing so by providing services that will help them to optimize the whole minerals processing. As you will see, we're investing a lot in developing the competence, how we can characterize the ore, optimize the flow sheet and the process technology, and at the same time, we can provide the engineering, we can provide the hardware, we can supply and install and operate the solutions what we are proposing. This is very important because, uh, Thomas has said, we see the trend in the industry to ask for more EPC. We have to understand that most of the mining houses have reduced their competences in engineering and project management. They want to have a full solution provider because they do not have the resources in-house anymore to manage Large contracts. At the same time, of course, uh, we have all talked, and I don't want to talk too much about the drop. What we have seen in the Capex, and we have seen a huge drop in the order intake for the capital industry, uh, capital mining industry. And we believe we are still not at the bottom, but think that within the next year or so we will hit the bottom. At the same time, uh, we will increase, as you will see, our accessible and available market because we are working on new offerings that even in a shrinking market, we will have a growing market opportunity from 2016 onwards. You've seen a lot of charts you know, about the future of the mining industry, and I've just uh, put one chart in here because I think it shows very typical how Volatile, the mining industry is, on the right-hand chart, you see that the uh, copper production over the last 20 years on an annual basis is very volatile. If you look over the 20 years, it's a very stable development. And you can do the same for a lot of other commodities. They all have the similar situation. They're volatile in the short term, long term, they're all very promising because the macroeconomic drivers behind it, they're all still there. The world will grow, the GDP will grow, and with this, the mining industry will grow with it. So now what is this new minerals division all about? This is really the platform where we'll be able to become this productivity partner to the mining companies. We will concentrate our really our know-how for the process uh, optimization. And at the same time, we will also have an offering of products for each individual step of the flow sheet and we can really provide the best solutions to them. At the same time, we will also have the opportunity to merge the material handling and the minerals processing technology and come up with solutions that are really unique and I will talk later on about it in terms of complete solutions for NP-crushing and conveying or dry tails stacking handling or heap leaching applications. We are operating this business through eight competence or technology centers that are spread all over the world, and these competence centers, they own the products. They are responsible that our technology and that our products are best in class. At the same time, we have six regional hubs. They own the customer. They're responsible for the sales and they're responsible for the order delivery. And with this new organization, we will be able to share load, to be more flexible, and also to, of course, generate some synergies. Lars was mentioning that this business, of course, was suffering from, on one hand, from a volume drop of over 50 percent. On the other hand, of course, We had some legacy projects which also had an an effect on the 2014 bottom line and also 2013. But with the synergies and, of course, other uh, measures what we are taking in terms of improving our profitability, uh, we are confident that by 2016 we will be in the band, which is 3 to 8% EBITDA level. At the same time, when we create this new organization, we are very much aware that we are in a cyclic business and that we will reduce our headcounts, which is now down to 2,600, uh, 2600, only there where we are not endangering our competence level and that we are keeping uh, a critical mass that will enable us to grow the business when the market comes back. So, in other words, this new minerals division is really the platform and the promised delivery of what we have said, the one-source solution provider to the minerals industry. We are combining businesses that have the same customer base, that have the same basically business model, and we are taking a lot of synergies from that. And, of course, we are also avoiding that we are becoming... uh, Subscale in certain areas because of the reductions we had to make and uh, we are still making. At the same time, we are providing and uh, developing our EPC competence in order to be able to be this one-source solution provider. And I will talk later on about this. This does not mean that we are the full-fledged EPC provider, uh, like you have discussed before. So for cement. On the other hand, this merger of the material handling. And the Minerals Processing Division gives us a unique opportunity to really to develop an organization that is really becoming an engineering powerhouse. We have more than 1,000 engineers in design and product management, and we really can utilize them. And at the same time, we can maintain a global presence, be close to our customer, be a single interface to the customer, and be an organization where that is much easier to deal with and the customer will really like that because of the less complexity. And, of course, there's other synergies when it comes to the production footprint, to the supply chain optimization, and also to the sourcing because we have simply more purchasing volume. Where do we play? You've seen this before. The normal FL Smith activities in the typical mining process chain starts when the ore is extracted from the mine. This is material handling technology in the surface mines. This is mine shaft technology, which is also part of this business on, for the underground mines. You know that more and more mines go underground. Yeah, yeah. And then we are going through the typical process where the minerals is being crushed and grinded. And then, of course, the separation takes place and we have uh, then the final refinement depending on the material that is in. What is new on this chart here is this dot that you see on this uh, right hand side showing that we are active in the very early stage of the project development. And and later on come to this, please remember this orange dot. I will make reference to this and explain you how this all fits together. What we are doing um, here in this Minerals Division Thomas was mentioning that we have acquired a lot of companies over the last few years. They have all their specific competences, and they have been selected because we wanted to complete the complete uh, value chain and process chain in in minerals processing. And I would like to use in comparison here to the sports world. This is like a soccer team. We have acquired really the soccer players for the different positions, and they're all, uh, world-class players. It is my job as a coach now to make sure that we have the game plan, that we have the strategy, and we connect all that. And we really then can become a winning team that has a high performance orientation and has the right players on <coughs> all the right positions. So if you want, this is the FC Barcelona model in the mining industry. And you can understand that if we really, if we connect the dots right here, we can really release a lot of potential and a lot of synergies and really become a strong provider. We talk a lot about projects and so on. It is important that in addition to the products division, we also have a lot of what we call engineered products, These are products that are basically standard, but have a high degree of customization depending on the different applications. It's about 50% of the business right now that is coming from this product business. And uh, this product business is important because this business is also ongoing uh, in tough times, because a lot of it goes into brownfield expansion and goes into, uh, of course, optimization. But they are also forming the basis for our projects. We are only doing projects where we have the majority of the hardware coming from the FLS base of products. And as I said, we have clear product line management, global product line management. Our eight technology centers are all being monitored that they have first-class technology. Nobody should come to FLSmiths for a solution for a total solution, and have the feeling that he is getting second-class products in certain areas. Another reason why it is the right thing to merge the minerals processing and the materials handling business is the fact that there is a lot of benefits. We have, for example, the same customer base. Both businesses and both divisions have the mining industry as by far the biggest customer group. Now we can come to the customer that have been complaining in the past that we are too complex to work with. Now we can go there with a very direct account management style and be a much easier partner to work with. At the same time, we had a lot of product management competence in minerals processing. On the other hand, in material handling, we had a lot of EPC competence. If we now merge them, those parties will really benefit from it, because we can take the best practices from both worlds and combine it and really develop the other areas where we have not been so strong. So this is really giving us a lot of indirect synergies as well in terms of providing an organization that is really strong. And, uh, of course, there's additional synergies in terms of market coverage, the global footprint in production, and also in sourcing. Now, I want you to remember this little orange dot what we had in the early phase of the mining development. And I'm showing here one example of uh, a material testing lab that we have built and started in uh, Salt Lake City. This is one of the most modern labs you will find in the industry. It's about 60 people what we are employing there. And what they are doing is, They are analyzing all the ore samples, what we get from the different mine sites and from the different new developments, and they're really analyzing this to find out what is the best process to separate the ore from the mineral and then design the flow sheet and, of course, come up with the recommendations, what is the best equipment to use. You're saying, well, what is different? A lot of labs can do that. The advantage is we have here data from several hundred mine sites. We have analyzed a lot of operations. So if you go there, you will be benchmarked with what is out there in, this, in, this, in the industry and we will look uh, for opportunities how we can improve your performance. So this is, a lot of the work is being done at the moment for customers that really look into the process optimization and this is where the productivity partner plays a role. But Also, this is an important part in the very early stage of the mine development. We are very much involved in a lot of feasibility studies because we have the credibility when you do a bankable feasibility study that if this lab says this is the process what we have selected and we are willing to guarantee for this process that you really, these junior miners but also the large miners, have the confidence that they will get a plant that really delivers I've mentioned before that we have additional opportunity by combining this. We, I've talked a lot about synergies. What does synergy here in terms of uh, synergies on the technology side really mean? I've used two examples. One is pit crushing and conveying. This is a technology where you crush the ore in the mine and you convey it out of the mine and you reduce the use of drugs in mines to a large extent. And thereby you're reducing, of course, the costs of mining. We have unique competence. We have the mineral sizing and crushing competence. World-class products. We have feeding and conveying competence. And we have mobile conveying and stacking competence. If we now bring this all together, we really can provide the total solution where we really pick the best from all worlds. You're probably saying, well, you would have been able to do this before. Yes, theoretically. But you know how it is in big organizations. If you work in different divisions... It's not so easy. Only by completely removing these division borders, we can now really accelerate and reduce the time to market. Another example I have here, which is very important because more and more mines are facing the challenge of water supply. With this dry tailing stacking process, we are taking the water out of the tailings and we are recycling it back into the minerals process. When we do so, we... Not only safe water, we also have then the tailings as a dry bulk product. And that product can easily be conveyed and stacked without the need of having big bonds where you normally have your tailings, which are from environmental point of view and also from the risk point of view, always a headache for the mines. One more time, I want you to remember this orange dot. Why are we there? The current situation is that for big mine developments, uh, you have an EPCM company. And these EPCM companies start with the basic design and the concept design. And during the detailed design, they make the selection of what suppliers they will use. And all the input, what a supplier can do at this point of time, is try to fit into the envelope what the EPCM companies gives you. This is slightly changing, and uh, we're moving upstream because uh, we're getting more involved during the basic design, and we can take bigger what we call islands, where you not only deliver equipment, but you deliver complete solutions for certain processes. This is, however, not where we want to be. We want to be right up front where the concept engineering is being done and where all the decisions are being made. Why do we want to be there? I've mentioned before that most of the mining developments have faced huge cost overruns. Why is that the case? Because 80 90% of the project costs are being decided when you do your concept design. Now, wouldn't it be logic that you have your key suppliers included when you do your concept design? And we can do that because we can bring now with our, all our activities on the ore testing and characterization and so on, plus all the competence what we have in the flow sheet design, we can really bring this benefit into the project development. What does this mean? You know what type of products will be used very early. This will give you the advantage that you can reduce the total project delivery time because the long lead items can be fixed early in the part of the process. At the same time, this gives us time to test the equipment and to really... uh, modularize it and pre-commission it before it comes to site and reduce the costs What you have on site. So by getting early inv- in, uh, involved, there's about 10% potential savings in the total costs and about 5 to 8% potential savings in the total project schedule. Now, one thing is important. We are not saying that we will compete with the EPCM companies. This is not our business. There is, in every project, enough infrastructure, civil works, and, and power distribution and other works. This is where, of course, the EBCMs will always play a role. But by getting involved early to forming a partnership with the mines and so on, there is a lot of advantage, and we know that the mines are looking for this advantage because they cannot afford these huge cost overruns anymore. So when we deliver all this, and I've listed some of the enablers what is the performance you can expect out of this business? This is an engineering business, where throughout the cycle, our target is to have an EBITDA between 3 and 8%. At the same time, of course, in the typical engineering business, the project owner is not expecting the supplier to finance the deliveries. We should be able to manage a positive cash flow and thereby a negative network working capital. And, of course, our ambition, as I've mentioned, when we release all the potential that we have now, when now the new FC Barcelona really comes onto the field, we will be able to win a bigger market share and we will be able to grow quicker than our competitors. And, therefore, we have said that, of course, the minimum what we are targeting is that we are growing much faster than the mining industry. The approach what we're taking now has two phases. The first phase is, of course, we are starting with this new division on January 1st. And our focus is that we are really realizing the potential synergies and the savings and efficiency gains what we have from merging of the two divisions. At the same time, of course, we focus that each of the players, what we have, each of the product, that they are world class, and there is no compromise on that. At the same time, of course, we are developing really our competence that we can go to every big mining house at EPCM companies and say, yes, we can deliver on the promise of being the one-source solution provider. And there's further cooperation with the SEM division and so on ongoing. At the same time, we have some low-hanging fruits by, for example, covering certain markets better what we have not covered so far so that we are comfortable that we can grow even in a very tough Market environment. So this is the short term. In the long term, of course, it will be the focus will be on profitable growth, and we will be able to do so by going into adjacent markets, for example, in hydromet and pyromet industries, focusing on other minerals like nickel or alumina and so on. We have mentioned already that we will explore the mid-market opportunities. What does this mean? We have analyzed very carefully, as Pierre was mentioning, what has happened with the entry of the mid-market player to the cement industry. And we are trying to analyze, can something similar happen to the minerals industry and how should we react and manage that? At the same time, of course, we also try to utilize the experience we have from cement in providing operation and maintenance, and we see a huge opportunity in that in minerals as well. And by doing all this, of course, we want to become the preferred partner for the big mining houses and the big EBCM engineering houses because that will give us a repeat business and that will, of course, give us better margins. So in essence, what I would like you to take home, this new minerals division is really the platform where we'll be able to deliver the one source solution what we have promised to the industry, for the minerals industry. We are combining these two divisions and at the same time, we are releasing a lot of additional extra benefits, but we will also have synergies and savings that will improve our bottom line by minimum four to five percent. We will have an organization that is not subscale in any areas, at the same time, It's a very agile, flexible organization that will follow the mining cycle and at the same time make sure we have all the competences available that when the market comes back, we can really capture all the market opportunities. And, of course, uh, we will constantly work to evolve this EPC model where we convince all the owners and EPCM houses that it is the right thing to really have your key product suppliers already involved in the concept stage of the project so in short this is really what I would like you uh, to remember this is how we prepare for the managing the cycle and of course this is how we position ourselves to really capture all the growth opportunities I really believe we have in this new organization the reason why I onboarded this organization is I saw all this individual, very world-class players. If I can manage to bring them together, this will be a winning team. Thank you.
0: Now questions to Barcelona. Not Germany, who got the World Cup, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> only to mention that, but it's okay.
9: Barcelona. Hi, Christian Johansen, Danske Bank. Um, The ambition you listed of 3% margin by 2016, what's your assumption for for the market or your orders underlying? Do you need to to sustain your current order backlog level, or how much room for deterioration is there in order for you to achieve the the margin target?
12: There is still room for deterioration. I've said we are uh, we are thinking that even next year we will have a drop and uh, also in revenue we will have a drop in 2016 because when we talk that the market is coming back, we, this will have an impact on the order intake. But in this business it takes us a long time from order intake to really generate a lot of revenue. So we are really calculating that we will have declining volumes in 15 and 16. At the same time, there's a lot of initiatives where we believe we can of course grow even in a declining market. So there are still trends there. Uh, But when we now right-size this for the business, we do it in such a way that there is no additional right-sizing needed. This will be a very lean organization, and when we grow, we have the resources, and also we have the partners where we have outsourced some competences that we can do this. But uh, as I've said, there is uh, enough... Cushion that even when the market gets worse, we are confident that we can deliver this.
0: One other question?
12: Okay, Brian. Carsten Zimmermill from SEB. Uh, you mentioned that cost synergies uh, should give 4 to 5 percent on the EBITR margin, but uh, that must at least be or oh, be around 250 million Danish kroner. When will you uh, present a firm plan on this? And uh, please, could you give us some hints on uh, some of the most important areas? Uh, your calculation is right. This is exactly uh, what the bottom line impact will be. This is not only uh, savings. This is, of course, also margin improvements from other initiatives like having a better... Uh, supply chain, better purchasing power and so on and so forth. We are right now in the process of implementing this. We cannot communicate all the different uh, you know, breakdowns for the savings but we are implementing this as we speak. There is clear plans and uh, of course uh, there is a uh, certain uh, cost that goes associated with this but this we also have included in our financial models.
0: We have, as we normally do, if we have bigger uh, activities coming up as we proved it in the past, of course we announce that. We have done special announcements for that. But we are in the way to to quantify that. You can imagine that uh, we announced in August to bring um, the two divisions together, this project part, and um, we are on the way to go alive first of January. And on that way, of course, we calculate exactly in, yeah, how to say, clear money terms, what it costs and what it will bring.
3: Okay. Yes, please. Uh, uh, yeah.
5: This division d- doesn't look too impressive right now on, on earnings, of, of course, and, and uh, your business to improve that. I wonder how does it look on invested capital and... Networking capital, I assume, this is also where we find the main problems. And uh, how fast do you see you're able to, to improve the situation there?
12: Um, I think we can improve the situation uh, uh, relatively fast because uh, a lot of it is related to closing of older project, legacy projects. And if we are able to do so, we'll be able to collect the outstanding receivables. So there's a huge uh, opportunity there. Not all of it is, is uh, uh, negative. Materials handling, for example, at the current uh, level, runs a negative network in capital because they have a few good projects with a lot of non-payments. Uh, but it's really uh, the focus on getting some of the projects closed. And, of course, we also had some problems that uh, because of the tough market situation, some of our mining customers facing some financial difficulties, and they have asked to defer payments. So there is a clear plan how we will reduce this. And when we say that our plan is to have a negative networking capital, you can rest assured that I have a plan how to achieve <coughs> that. But, but,
5: but it's also uh, within reach by 2016, for instance?
12: Yes, because that's what I said. A lot of money is really tied to closing some projects, and we will have all the focus on closing this project during 2015 and collect the money. So there is a clear plan how we can achieve that. Thanks. Good.
0: And with that, I would like to say thank you, Manfred, and introduce Brian Day, the new divisional head of customer service.
13: Okay. Okay. Good afternoon. And uh, I guess I want to thank all of you, first and foremost, for the opportunity to present the customer service story this afternoon. And it will be a bit of a story. I'm not going to go through slides traditionally. I generally like to tell the uh, storyline as we go, and we will. A little bit about myself. Uh, I'm proud to say that this year will be 35 years with the company. And as you can see, I came up as a process engineer, first 10 years of my career in plants, traveling all over the world, remote locations, sizing equipment, solving problems for customers. So you can see where my passion might lie in the customer service world. And this appointment is recent, January. I'll start in the new role as uh, the head of the customer service division. Total cost of ownership approach. If you remember a few things throughout this presentation, one will be relationships, one will be productivity, And the other will be return on assets. And if you look at the total cost of ownership model from a CapEx standpoint, less than 20% of what I'll use as an example a 20 year concentrator mine would invest football. Ah, there we go. That's the. uh, Less than 20% of the investment will be on the original equipment. So I'll call the CS opportunities anything under the iceberg from a standpoint of maintenance, parts, rebuilds, obviously transportation and other things play into this, but really there's a lot of opportunities for us in the CS world to focus on productivity, uptime, and safety throughout the full life cycle of that plant, and that's exactly what we do. The other is with the new model we've got, standard repeatable models around account management, around asset management, and I'll share some of those in the presentation. How we service our customers. We talked about productivity and return on assets, and I'll talk how we do that regionally, but that's one, what I'll call, leg of the business. The second leg is operation and maintenance, and we'll talk to the the plants that we run, operate and maintain around the, the world. And the third would be the Excel component, where we sell OM replacement parts, so original equipment manufactured parts, into the industry, and these are superior engineered components that we do in quick fashion. So it's a, it's a strong component to what we do as well. The the profitable growth, uh, you've seen some of it in Lars' presentation earlier, but uh, five to ten percent annual revenue growth over the cycle. EBITDA greater than 15%, and clearly we'd like to be in the 15 to 20 range. And every year we have activities around how we can ramp that up. Networking capital, Thomas mentioned it, the 15 to 20. Uh, You'll see some about the investments we made five years ago and how that may affect networking capital a little bit, but also how it can help us grow the business in the future. And then... uh, Develop O&M to become an industry standard. We have eight contracts right now running 13 lines doing the numbers that you've seen reported. We have over 3,000 opportunities out there. So the available market of 3,000 on the eight we're running with a very low capture rate, that business could be substantial, will be substantial in the future. And it's a targeted approach for us. And then the wear parts, consumables business, probably less than 5% of what we do today. But clearly, that gets you really close to your customers where you're looking at the wear parts, the mill liners, uh, the crusher components, manganese. You're in the plant all the time. They're turning that stuff three to five times a year. That's where, that's our sweet spot, being in front of the customers, closing that gap, and uh, supporting them in stronger ways. And then strategic products, geographies, and markets, and I'll talk a bit to those. So we do also have a regional structure, and you'll see the three regions, but each of the regions has a different personality. And if you you look at how we're mapped and how we go after the market, we're actually set up a little bit different in certain countries than others around mines and strategic opportunities. If you look at North America, upgrades and retrofits, we have... uh, 125 years of installed base in North America. We have over 15,000 units. We know where they are. We map them well. We manage the accounts. We have key account managers. That's a huge market for us of a mature market that we harvest. Canada, new projects coming online, sizable ones. When they get into the first two to three years, the parts uh, ordering and the consumption is significant. And then we stock. In North America, we have a warehouse where we will book and bill same day, and we demand a premium for that, much like FedEx or somebody when you get a package. So the margins that we get on that business are substantial. So different business models around the world, we we realize that. We customize what we do. We tailor it to the customers. And then I guess the relationship side and the productivity, if I just hit on a few key bullets of what we do, we are a local direct service organization. And some of the investments I'll talk about in a minute, they're within hours of the plants. So very close uh, relationships to the customer. Speed is the name of the game. How we answer the phone, how we quote parts, how we get proposals out, how we do a rebuild, how we do an outage safely and effectively, that's... uh, That's part of our fabric. And then account management over this, uh, what I'll call super cycle, customers are looking a lot more at the OPEX side of their business than they may have before. So they're looking at inventory. They're looking at efficiency programs. Well, we've customized things around their needs in this last three years that are adding a lot of value that we may not have done before, and that's going to carry into the future, and I'll talk to a few of those on, on some slides. Footprint, very strong footprint. Predictive maintenance. If we can get the, tell them what they need before they know they need them, that's the nature of the game for us. And we have things that we can do in that area. And then we do leverage the capital world. Uh, the presentations earlier, the products, uh, flow sheets, uh, world-class offerings. Clearly, when, when they're booming, we're booming with them. So that's near and dear to us, and we partner with them way up front on projects. Service offerings, the value chain, and maybe I'll speak to the pictures, but uh, when we go into what we call this tailored customer offering now, on the left side, it could be just parts. I want to order parts from you. Okay, we can we can deliver that out of a warehouse. As they go up, hey, maybe we want a trailer on site with a couple service people, Uh, and become part of our safety committee, and you can do some predictive maintenance for us. That's the second one. Then you get into some of these service acquisitions that we've done in the last few years, kit, crew, and containers. Now we're taking 10 world-class people with all the tools, the kit, and the crew into remote areas and parachuting in, and we've got an instant support structure there that can't exist for a lot of reasons in some of these areas and we can scale up very quickly with that. And then we get into some of the investments around these super centers, and I'll talk to one later on in particular and how that models well going forward. All the way up to Egypt, uh, the uh, own and operate. And then there's a a picture of ICE, and I'll speak to that. But parts, services, rebuilds, all the way up to operating and maintain and then everything in between. So the service centers we have a very, very strong footprint around the world, and it's a strategic footprint. And actually in the last five years, we've really looked at consolidating. We've looked at some major investments. The one in Peru, we built, we got the approval five years ago. That's been online for two years. Three or four of the major projects we built that to support are, as we speak, coming online and we've already developed the strategic plans and how we're going to support them. They've used the facility to do the safety training for the locals. Um, We've worked with them on developing the in-and-outs, the part numbering scheme. So these have been a very effective investment tool, and they range from the trailer to the picture that's the one in Perth where it has a drive-through warehouse and repair facility so we can assemble parts closer to the iron range Source in China, bring the components in, assemble there, and ship. Very strong value prop for us in different parts of the world. The ice room, that's intelligent collaboration environment. This is the one here in Valby. So we talked about these eight plants that we operate and maintain. Well, when you do that, you can tie into the data control center, live time. You can also camera up in the plant so you can see what's going on In the plant and look for improvements and productivity gains. And if you look at the middle picture, that's a kiln, so you can look for hot spots. So if it's going to crack or fail, you predict that in advance, you schedule it around an outage, or you get it repaired before it crashes the whole plant, the whole plant shut down. So this is a strong tool for us in in, in the ice environment. And this uh, example of a plant like Well, I'll move to the next slide. I'll speak to the next slide. So from what I'll call the virtuous cycle, when you take that ICE model, and over on the wall here, you're going to see an example of where corporate social responsibility and productivity come hand in hand. And the social and the environmental aspects of this case study, Ramlaya, if you look at what was achieved over there, it's pretty phenomenal the average uh, increase in productivity at that plant is 10% higher than the average of a cement plant in the way we manage that cycle by operating and maintaining that plant. And there's some, also some other cool stuff there on power environmental emissions that we work with the local communities. Uh, so if you get a chance, go give that a look. But, uh, again, some of the tools that we've taken to market now uh, are enabling us to do things that uh, other people in industry are not doing. I'm going to talk briefly. You hear in the capital world a lot of times about how fast you can ramp up a plant um, from a savings to the, uh, the concentrator plant or whatever can be significant. Well, again, look at the life of the plant. These are real live examples. And this one is a one-to-three improvement in uh, plant availability. And if you look at that and say, if we maintain the plant, If we come in and help you with predictive maintenance, if we can have service guys work with you, we can improve your productivity 1% to 3%. In a 300,000-ton-per-day concentrator plant, you can run the math on that on dollars per ton, and they're huge. If you look at the productivity with Romaya, by operating and maintaining 10% improvement, huge. Nobody else in the world is doing this to the level we are. We are best in class at operating and maintaining plants. And then the flow sheet intelligence, the products, so now we're in the plant, we're operating it, asset management. Customers are now in their downturn, OPEX cycle. They're saying, how much am I going to spend the next five years on parts, and how much am I going to need for maintenance, and what's the manpower requirement? Well, we found a nice niche here the last three years. We say, let's take a plant like the cement plant pair, presented. Let's do asset management where we take a component, we blow it up for that specific plant, we put risk assessments on it based on the the grade of the ore, the environment, a number of factors. We can do predicted maintenance, and then we'll run a maintenance schedule around that. How many times you take the equipment down, what kind of resources do you need, what resources we can supply, and how much you're going to spend in parts on that asset per year. So that's, again, a uh, pretty strong value prop where you get closer to them, help them manage the business through this downturn cycle and manage their opex more effectively. And really it's, uh, it's that whole life cycle predictivity that uh, we deliver on. Takeaways, uh, you saw some of the numbers earlier. This has always been a resilient business, no matter what the market conditions. It's always growing maybe at varying levels, but it's been resistant to the, the downturn in the market, and it continues to be so. Clearly, we're doing things in the marketplace different now to address the current market that are helping us deliver on that, and and it'll continue to be a growing business area at a high margin. The focused regional approach, local direct support, we've put together all of the CSBU's now, business units, uh... We can now really look at what do we have in areas where we might have had 20 service guys and lever them in a stronger way going forward in the new organization starting January. And I don't start January. I guess I start officially January, but I've been on the ground running with this for the past four months, and we've made some great progress in what we're going to do going forward. Particular growth areas, again, the O&M and... You guys talk about it quite a bit it 's a huge opportunity for us huge installed base out there. We think we do it very well we 've proven that we do it very well. The results show that we can do it very well and it's a it 's a great story to take to the market and Then the wear parts that 's one where we've we 've already got a business plan we 'll probably target Chile and Peru first and uh, we know every installed mill down there we know what uh, what's being done currently maintenance-wise. So that's a target zone for us. And we use a bit of the, uh, the uh, targeted approach when we go to market with new stuff. We'll pick a hot spot, develop it, develop it well, and then we'll take it to what we think is the next opportunity around the world. We don't just shotgun it. And that's been an effective approach as well. And I think that's all I had.
0: Yes, and questions?
5: Can you talk a little bit about uh, current trading and and margins and potential margin pressure, if there is any, and and maybe also differentiate between cement services and mining services?
3: Yeah,
13: I I guess the first part of the question was, and and that's been—it's a a very good question. It's come up over the the years, but uh, we really haven't seen the margins fluctuate with the downturn. Um, we do get pressure in certain parts of the world, but we've had, we get pressure all the time. And we've had pressure for years. We deal a lot with local suppliers, so you, you're all, we've always been up against that one. So have not seen the downturn in, uh, in uh, the overall margins, nor do I predict that we'll see them. The other thing is we have the efficiency program from a sourcing standpoint. So anything that we hope we might be taking some skin off. We're replacing it with some some great sourcing initiatives and things like that. Um, I think the second part of the question, if I understood it around the the, uh, cement margins versus the minerals margins, I think when you have a local direct uh, model as we do in minerals, you can probably demand a higher margin because you're there. And I think we're gonna apply more of that model across the whole CS unit going forward and we have in the last uh, uh, year. We've seen the overall margins in uh, in what I'll call the CS cement area come up two to three points. So we're working that and ramping it up, and that's a focus area for me for sure. Thanks.
0: One question more?
14: Uh, uh, yes. Uh, hi. It's Klausen City. Um, <laughs> When we when we listen to all suppliers out there, you know Sandvik, Metso, etc., they all talk about expanding the service business. Um, in terms of your unique offering, would you say that that is the operation and maintenance business? And how are protected our market shares here, or do, do you see any uh, risk that other suppliers will will start to move in here? Uh,
13: the last part of your question, I'm sorry, <laughs> that uh, other people what?
14: Yeah, so other competitors, everyone in, in, in an environment where OE demand is low, everyone is talking about expanding service. Right. So I just want to gauge sort of your, your the barriers to entry here.
13: Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, there are, I don't know if there's barriers to entry for us because we're in, we're in the maintenance world already, we're in the O&M world. Clearly, there are people bidding against us on every job. So they're out there already and, and we do bid against them on the operation and maintenance piece. Uh, I, my comment earlier was, I think we do it better than anyone else. And, and that's proven by the amount of projects we have, the results we have. But clearly, we do see pressure, and I, and I think service is the name of our game. Uh, one of the things I didn't elaborate on on the first one of the slides was 6,400 6, employees in customer service, and two-thirds of those are front-facing, boots on the ground, in the plants every day, kind of individuals. So we're very much focused on the, the serviceability and the service part of it. And then it could be maintenance, could be O&M, could be we manage your outages for you, the three a year, where we'll bring 500 people on site and everything in between. And those pressures have been there for a while. Did I answer that? Okay. Or, yeah. Yeah? Good. Okay. Thanks a lot, Brian. Yep. Thank, you. Thank you. So
0: it's now uh, up to my task to wrap it up and to have a kind of a, yeah, a little bit um, yeah, going through that what you heard. <coughs> and of course I look into that again, I would like to show that again. Because what we presented here is, and we hope of course that it comes through, that the target here is to manage the cycle and prepare for the upturn. We are on a journey to make us fit for the future. And that we have this downturn cycle, of course we manage it in it. We, we are with the efficiency program on track, we are with the business right sizing activities, we did, we will do, as well as with the reorg to organize us to capture synergies to make us more simple to make us more easier to deal with, and at the same time to create out of that the growth opportunities. And with a strong target set that we grow above market average, we believe that will be possible, and that will happen. Brian was talking about the O&M and the 3,000 lines. I always take that as, as we would have, 5% of the 3,000 lines, and this is only cement in operation and maintenance, we would have more turnover out of operation and maintenance than we have today as a total group. That is a growth potential. But that market has to be developed because clients are hesitant. It's not competition which blocks us. It's that we convince and that we show further what is the potential, what we can create, up to the level that we are able to quote and to be together with companies into EPC. And as we heard, yes, some are scared by that EPC. We do already since decades EPC. It doesn't mean that we front them all. But I have to say (coughs) clearly, if you are not in big projects, if you are not in processing, then you are not able with only products and services to offer the best productivity improvement. It's not possible. You need the processing knowledge, you need the big project knowledge to know what to improve. Of course you need your products, the key products, because each product has a productivity improvement potential. And of course you have to know how to operate the sites. That combination enables you, enables us, with a unique competence, what we can offer into the industry, and that is what we definitely see as a rising business. Onm is a result out of it. The trust of customers to give their their assets, everything what they have, they only keep the sales and the sales activities. That is the highest trust level what you can achieve. This journey to get to a sustainable, profitable growth and going to a permanent more than 20% return on capital employed on each point of the cycle. That is what we do. And the reorganization is a step in it. Not the final step, not the only step, it's one step in it. Then when we look into why do we have all these divisions, why why is it in the portfolio? Let me start with the return on capital employed. There are three main factors in it, as we all know. It's profitability, capital efficiency, and, of course, growth. The profitability comes out of stable businesses. We saw that today out of customer service, out of the product company's division. There is the constant profitability coming from, on a high level. But you need the division's For minerals and cement, you need the projects, you need the single equipment which is customized to create the business for the future, for the stable business. Otherwise, someone else comes and starts with big projects and implements their equipment, and you get a market share problem. And as we all know, if you don't act in the market as number one or number two, you have a problem to keep price leadership, which means profitability overall. Then I look into the capital efficiency to allocate the capital early enough exactly there where you need it in the future. And that, based on a divisional structure, makes it very easy. Yes, we have a networking capital problem. Yes, I have to say, in the efficiency program, networking capital was a point where we didn't deliver. True. We work on that. And the only thing that can convince is that we show improved figures, what we will do. No doubt about that. But capital efficiency means, too, that we are able throughout the whole cycle to manage our capital in a proper way. And cement and minerals with an ongoing negative networking capital, cash-positive deals, is a big contributor into that. Last but not least, growth and I know it's a little bit tricky in, yeah, minerals especially when you go into the trough already to talk about growth, but you know how long it takes to build up a system that you can capture growth and create growth. This is not done in a quarter. You have to do it at the right time that you are prepared. We believe for minerals it's the time now, for cement it's the time now, and we already do it for cement quite a while. This growth in all four divisions, single growth items, will enable us to outperform the market development. This is quite a colorful slide, and I see all the heads are coming up, and that was the purpose. And it describes a little bit my company, our company. This is Eiffel Schmidt in a nutshell. This is a company where cement and mining are merged together. The most part of the organization is doing both as the business moves. I take one example. One third of our colleagues are in India and a big part of standard engineering, close to 90% of standard engineering is done in that big department of thousands of colleagues, good colleagues. And when the time is high for cement, they do predominantly cement work. And if the time is high for minerals, then they do predominantly minerals work. So we are very flexible in that system, what we can influence on our own. Our company, as Brian said, we have cases where we prove that CSR is not an outside-the-business activity CSR, from our point of view, is an essential part. Increasing productivity, working with customers up to the operation and maintenance level creates a lot of good things in CSR. It is the base of the model. We have a safety culture which always drives a quality culture, a relationship culture. We take care of of our colleagues, we take care of our suppliers, we take care of our customers. That is a culture which is liked in the industry. The theme, Eiffel Schmidt never lets us down. That is what I hear all over, no matter where I go. No matter if it's cement or minerals. That's part of our tradition. We have a global footprint. We are more than 130 years old. Yes, we had some hiccups in the past, 10, 12 years ago. But when you see what happened with that old auntie, as it is called here in Denmark, coming from a conglomerate in a fantastic move, what we call transition and growth into the next era, what we call sustainable, profitable growth, then this is a company to be proud of. This is of course about the actual market situation and I show it only for the sake of commenting on it. We don't have any changed view on the market conditions as we said it in the quarter three. I get so many questions, I got it in the break again. It's necessary to give that information on a capital market day. Last but not least, what is our value proposition for our shareholders? We manage this cyclical business. We prepare to have it better managed in a way that our cycle is more flat. We already invest a lot to be better in the future. We have huge programs ongoing for people investment, which is the most important in a company. We do all the things we need to do to improve the performance of the company. With some we are ahead of target, with some we are below the target. But in a foreseeable time, that will come together and we will perform as we promised. We have a very balanced portfolio with that unique business model to be best in class in productivity improvement, what we already since decades (laughs) prove in cement and now mirror into mining. We have a unique offering with a high entry barrier for others who would like to follow. On top of it, as we said, yes, it is tough headwind today, but this is, we are in attractive industries with a clear long-term growth and attraction. I know in a few years... I will sit again in meetings and getting the question, are you able to supply based on that what you all can sell? Do you have enough people on board? Don't you have shortage of competences? Is your supply line big enough to supply that? You maybe remember that time. It's actually from a mining point of view, where 100 years is absolutely nothing, really not that long ago, it's a blink ago. That will come again. And I hope you understand that we have to be, prepare, uh, to be prepared for that, to capture above market average. And we will do so, definitely. And with that, I would like to open up for the Q&A. And for that, I would like to have all presenters with me so that I'm not so alone We can take that. So, who would like to
6: start? I I have the microphone at least, so I will start.
14: Here. There we
6: go. Um, Just a question regarding um, uh, these very colorful uh, circles you you showed us. (laughs) Yes. Uh, You have one saying that the asset light, as 80% of the business... Uh, is uh, is outsourced manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, your product company, including the Sembrant business as well, will now make up roughly slightly about 25% of the business. I'm just wondering um, all the products you're going to sell within your product division, is that going to be all manufactured by F.O. Smith or is there going to be some partly manufactured by, by um, or is some of the manufacturing going to be outsourced? Mm.
0: We have already... Um Quite an outsourcing part in the product company division inside. The colleagues in the product companies already use outsourcing model. On top of it, we use more and more assembly centre model that we combine and can the total binded asset reduce with it. We have, the reason that we say eighty percent and not ninety or eighty five or so is really that limitation what we need and what we believe we should have in house. But we are not intending to grow that. We would like, and the target is, to stay as much as possible as it lied. But for being in top one or two position, for top niche players in product, you need added value in-house. And that is in the production and R&D and innovation.
6: Okay, and then uh, then I'm going to ask a question regarding the short-term performance. Uh, we're seeing quite a steep decline in the oil price currently. And at least some of the markets you're mentioning, or the markets' potential you, you mentioned in the cement business, are, are having economies which are linked to to the development in oil price. I'm just wondering, should we, wor- should we be worried about the, the the falling oil price in terms of your near-term oil intake? We would you like to answer
2: that? that yes, please. Do that. Is this one working? Yes. Interesting um, question. Of course, we think a lot about that, and I discussed it also with. Uh, one of your colleagues in the in the break here, I think you cannot say anything um, very clearly about this. You have um, things going both ways. You are right, there are countries where things are getting a little bit more troubled when the oil price drops as much as it is now. On the other hand, take a country like United States right now, where we've actually got quite a large share of orders this year. In general, you also see a lot of economic advantages in having lower energy prices. So for me, really... There are mixed things in this, and uh, it is not that you can say that now it's we are seeing the situation worse because of this thing happening. It's going both ways, and we actually see that clearly in our activity level and in our order books. Okay, thank you for the clarification.
0: Next question, Mike.
8: Like you, I had a financial question related to the new divisional figures. I wanted to double-check that these are... These are all the reported figures after all restructuring charges and impairments. And I try to keep track of underlying profitability by division, and you've assembled this new product uh, division from pieces of four other divisions. Is it generally the case that restructuring charges and impairments related to the efficiency program uh, probably uh, in the new product division would be fairly minor that you know the new cement division charges related to the efficiency program would look roughly like the old cement division charges and maybe the new minerals division charges would be roughly the sum of materials handling and minerals processing or is is that too simplistic
4: uh, it's difficult to get from the old divisions into the new divisions, because there's a lot of moving parts. Um, What you have in the presentation is the reported numbers put into the new divisions. And, of course, it has been not a simple exercise to allocate all the efficiency program cost into the division, but we have done everything we could to put all the one-offs into the right place. So these are the reported figures,
8: as the businesses look like, also before. So th- does the new does the product division have a lot of one-offs in the history? No. Nope. Okay, that helps me. All right.
2: Next question. There.
8: Or, no, there,
2: for,
5: for estimate purposes, can can you elaborate a bit on order to revenue conversion in, in the new divisions?
0: The, we will do as you know. Um, information to the market on when we come with the quarterly announcement. That is what we should stick to.
5: Yeah, yeah, but, but no, no, not so much to get a revenue number, but, but more how, how long is the conversion time in the new divisions so I can make my own calculations yes, you, from, from yes, orders exactly, to, to
7: revenue. Exactly.
0: Yeah, That is what we definitely can do. Yeah.
7: You're, probably, you're probably talking about the product company's division and the book all, to all, okay all, but all the, of them. i can
0: talk for the product companies division
7: and the book to bill ratio is roughly 55 to 58% there
5: so 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 55 to 58 becomes revenue within the next 12 months yeah no okay.
7: just one comment on the oil prices i mean of course all the cement customers are very happy for very low oil prices
0: anyone else Regarding the conversion,
12: yeah, on the mineral side, um, the conversion is about uh, 22 to 25 percent.
2: Yeah, we expect the book and bill of around 15 percent in the cement division, which is slightly increased because we expect more products. So we have most of the year's revenue in the in the books.
13: And CS is about 45 percent.
5: Thanks. 15. Yeah, that. So, so only 15% of your backlog gives the next year then, then what's the average conversion rate uh, where does the bulk come excuse so if, if, if your order backlog is 100 how much revenue comes in year 1, 2 and 3
0: that is the question the conver-
2: conversion ah. ok um. uh, excuse <laughs> me yeah yeah you took the opposite yeah right? yeah Okay, but then you can probably get it more or less from, from that. Okay. But we can give you more details uh, going forward. Okay. thanks.
15: Klaus Kehl from uh, Nucleadit Markets. Just a clarification question. These uh, synergies of uh, 5% that you were talking about in the new mining division, are we um, absolutely clear that that will come on top of the efficiency program and the right sizing that you have done so far?
12: Yes. Yes, the total, I know it exactly, is 256 million. There's exact plans for that. uh, (laughs) And uh, the plans are in place, and this is on top of what has been going on from the EP program.
15: And when did you say you would uh, communicate further about the... Yeah, how to get to that number? Yeah, I can take that because it's about communication. Yeah. The, we
0: generally communicate when it's quantified and decided, and then we go immediately public with that. That is normally what we do, and we are still in the way to quantify it. The, um, I think it's clear when you take things together like uh, two divisions that um, this is what we call the final step of integration, that we see, of course, a lot of what we didn't see before, untapped potentials. I can give a nice example out of the efficiency program. We announced in August 2013 that we will close down uh, more than 20 locations. And in these days, we believe 20 to 25. We are already over 45 site closures. So we go on with that, how to say, untapped potential, what we identify, and to do the right things. This is one part of that, what we say, we reinvest into a better setup. When we have it quantified, then we go. Next question.
9: Just uh, getting back to the uh, growth ambitions for product companies, um, how fast should we expect you to be able to achieve growth? Uh, I mean, looking at the last uh, 12 months, your revenue is down 6%. Is it realistic that you will turn growth uh, positive already next year? Do we have to wait to to 2016?
7: We are expecting that we start to grow already from 1st of
3: January.
0: Uh, There must be more questions.
7: Um, I think it's in, in in the same ballpark. And you
0: you, you talk about the new EPC projects in in the um, in the minerals situation and and you had a lot of problems in in material handlings handlings these products And if you're starting to grow now. I mean, just how can we be sure that 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 that, that you're able to handle these?
12: Yeah, there has been a lot of changes uh, from the organization that took in the orders and execute the orders that were giving these problems. I mean, a part of this reorganization is really that we are making sure that we are using all the competence we have is in the group, and um, we are also using competences from cement, and we have a very strict order review and order approval program that we are very sure that we are not taking in new problems again. So there has been a complete uh, change in in the management and the way how we execute and how we take in these orders.
0: But are you ready to take in large orders right now in the old material handlings?
12: We have. I mean, you have seen the announcement. There has been a large order from Vietnam. We are executing an order in Qatar, um, which are pretty good, pretty large size projects, and they're more or less running as budgeted. So there is a certainly a big improvement in the way how the projects are being handled in materials handling.
5: Maybe I can.
0: Maybe I should uh, remark again when I onboarded, the backlog and material handling of the legacy orders was over 18%. We are now below, significant below 6% of the thing. And we are proceeding quite well to get out of, the let, uh, out of these legacy orders. And I said in several quarterly announcements that the way how we do it is very professional and we learned a lot out of it. Com- combined with that, what we see in cement and how to do it in cement. It is clear we are not going after each EPC project. I have to say that. We select and we look for partnering where we see customers, clients being interested to have the best productivity solution. And on premium, that is where we go. Don't believe that we now start to uh, quote on each EPC project. Definitely not. Um, I have to say... F. L. Schmidt is since decades in EPC business. And in a lot of deals what we do in cement and partly in minerals too, yes we are in an EPC contract but we are not fronting and we are not having the responsibility for the C part which is not our core competence. But we always would take if the partnering is wished from customer side, the EP part because we believe we are the best you can take
1: Hi, Guillermo from UVS again. A question on SG&A and R&D. You mentioned opportunities in the mid-market for cement and for minerals. I was kind of looking for some absolute guidance on how much do you need to invest to achieve that growth that you're aiming at. So how much is, in absolute terms, increasing in terms of R&D and how much you need to increase in terms of SG&A? Yes.
0: There I'm a little bit in a trap because, as, as I said We come in the fourth quarter to announce if we see an opportunity and if we would like to enter that business. We decided, yes, we look for opportunities into mining. We are in the process to evaluate how an organic approach looks like and what is the return what we can create. This is very important and I I said it in several meetings before. I'm not eager to make, um, how to say, acquisitions for the sake of an acquisition. We have to get the return. That is what we calculate through. If we see that we are not able to do it organically in the right time, maybe for the right cost definitely, if we would not have it for the right return, then we would look for, as I call it always, the last exit MA. When we are there, when we go in, we will inform.
1: But is it fair to assume that the R&D and d and investment or – or increase will be front-loaded, in a way. Uh, what I mean by that is that uh, it tends to be the case that you will have under-absorption of cost temporarily uh, as you basically increase your RCNA, increase your r and and then the, the growth comes in. Um,
0: I, yeah. uh, not to go too much into details, but if I, uh, let us take something like flotation as a flotation cell. We, a flotation cell as a mechanical part and so on is a tank with a rotor. There's intelligence, how you do it, how you sample it, how you develop it. If we for example, would go into flotation in mid market, if that if I take that as an example, there is not a lot of upfront cost, but you need the competence how to quote it, how to sell it, how to build it like that. And there we don't talk hundreds of people or huge uh, production sites, absolutely not. but you need the competence in.
6: Uh, Bjorn, I just have to check again. Uh, when you say to grow by the first of January, is it order and take, or is it uh, both order and take and revenue?
7: No, no. We, yeah, you're right. We are not guiding, but uh, <laughs> but but uh, we definitely want to grow already from next year. Revenue also.
6: Revenue-wise, I, I, I just wondering because well, if I do the numbers, I, w- I would guess that you're going to enter in 2015 with a with a backlog which is gonna be six to 700 million smaller compared when you're entering 2014. So I'm so just wondering where, where, where the growth should come from if it's not gonna be from from the current backlog you're having.
7: The only thing, I, I, don't, I think, don't think you have the backlog for the product companies, right? Ah, you have, okay. Yeah, but, but um, um, the year is not finished yet. One. <laughs> and okay. two, to, but, but the ambition is to grow from already from next year.
6: Okay, thank you.
11: Yes, Vasil Emmett from SAP. Two questions from my side. Um, firstly, on the synergy potential which um, you have mentioned of you know, four to five percentage points. Um, is that a cross figure or is that a net figure
0: um, at first it has to be a net figure because we are when you look into the minerals where we are with the EBITDA level today and where we are in 2016 to be in the band then of course you see that we have to move that up for quite a significant percentage
11: so you're actually aiming to take out costs more than 250 million
0: we will as I said, when we have the quantification, then we will come out and say what it is. But the ambition is clearly there to hit the band in 2016 for minerals.
11: Okay, and uh, the second question, that's uh, for Brian. Um, you mentioned that you want to uh, grow your wear pot business, uh, what about the consumer, consumables business? And what are the means for growing the part and a consumables business?
13: Okay, I guess I'll go to the wear parts first. And uh, we've actually, uh, the approach for that would be a pretty small team of four to six people in Chile and Peru. We already have some of the largest service organizations we have around the world in Chile that we can leverage. They already do the outages and the plants and all that. So this would be, as Thomas said, a bit of an add-on, but it's a little bit more specialized in that we really have to partner with a foundry. And we've done that, and we we need to look at uh, how we bundle the services and the offerings, condition monitoring. And we actually uh, bid uh, the first big project uh, yesterday. So we'll see how that falls out, and we're moving forward with that. So that's the wear parts piece. Um, It wouldn't be buying a foundry or anything like that. So it would be currently partnering with a local foundry, going after a captive base from a – concentrator plant standpoint, and, and we've already identified who we're going after. Uh, the consumables piece, we actually formed a very small consumables uh, part of our division about a year and a half ago, two years ago, for polyurethane, for ceramics, and for filter media. But it's a small piece of our overall business. So, again, we feel that's a growth opportunity, but the wear parts component is 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 going to run right past that from a volume standpoint. So they're both focus areas, one already in place, the consumables one at a small scale, and the wear parts has some pretty good upside.
11: Okay, thanks.
16: Yes, hello. It's uh, Yefailu from uh, Um The question is probably for Thomas and maybe for Manfred, and it's uh, around the minerals business. Um, you talked a bit about the materials testing facility you had in Salt Lake City. And I was wondering if you were doing that metallurgy work and uh, maybe also a bit of geochemistry. Um, are you doing that for free um, and then trying to sell, uh, I guess, work for that? Are you Are you charging for that?
12: Uh, for the majority, we are charging. I mean, uh, okay. some of it is uh, sales support, but the majority is really charged out.
16: Okay. Uh, are you planning on building other such laboratories? In the we have extensions? similar
12: laboratories. We have okay. some that is focusing more on pyromet processes, for example, in Bethlehem. We yeah. have one in, in Italy and so on. They're not at the same level. Uh, they're focusing on different industries, for example, but mm-hmm. this is not the only lab that we operate.
16: Okay. Is it m- focused on metallurgy or on geochemistry work? Um, Salt Lake City is
12: more in geochemistry me- okay. uh, and metallurgic. Uh, depends a little bit more on the hydro processes. Bethlehem is more because of the connection with cement, more on the pyro processes. Mm-hmm. So we have different uh, uh, competences at the different sites.
16: Okay. Okay. And uh, the second question is more around the ERP systems. There was a slide that said. Um, in the long term, uh, one of the major aspects would be to consolidate a uh, group-wide ERP system. I was wondering if that was already uh, something being worked on and what maybe the costs would be uh, that are associated with it.
4: I think what we have in the slide is that it says at a country level, we would consolidate ERP systems. Uh, As I mentioned in my presentation, we're talking about common tools. That would not all be ERP systems. Um, so we have our ERP systems in place. We have a lot of different ones from the acquisitions. Mm-hmm. And what we would like to do is to really analyze what are the specific needs of each division each divisions, and really make certain that we deliver what they need and what delivers synergies. Because we have seen in a lot of places that these big ERP systems, if you want to roll one system out for everybody, it can really explode in cost. And we don't want that to happen. Uh, so what we will do is we really look at what is the need in each division, and then deliver that—not one-size-fits-all. Okay.
16: Yeah, makes sense. Um, is the timeline for that like 12, 24 months, or is it something <coughs> that's uh, just being looked at right now, and we don't know yet?
4: Well, we have—we have—we are looking at a rollout plan, but of course, now that we have put together the divisional structure, where we have similar business models, where we are identifying what are the synergies we can capture in each division, mm-hmm. we will look more into. At what pace do we need to uh, to roll out common ERP systems? Uh, in a lot of places, we have systems uh, that are really doing the job. In the cement division, we have a, a, high, a very advanced system. Uh, that does not need changing in the short term. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just rolled out a new system in, in Salt Lake City for the, for the minerals processing and customer service part. So we are doing things... But we don't want to have everything on one system in, let's say, 12 months, because the cost would be disproportionate from that. So we'd rather roll it out where it makes sense and where it delivers synergies.
16: Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Thank you.
13: Uh,
14: just a follow up on the mid-market, Thomas. Um, you say that you want to grow this organically. Um, but I, I sort of see risk here that you would dilute your premium offering. I mean, are you going to sort of develop a multi-brand strategy? Because if you don't go down the um, sort of buying multi-brands or buying a new sort of mid-market brand, then there might be risk here of, of diluting the
0: FLS premium brand. I just want to hear your comment on that. Yeah, there are two things in business life which really hunt me since a very, very long time. One is networking capital and the other one mid-market, I have to say that. It is mid-market we are not talking about uh, to grow mid-market and so on. We go into mid-market, with that we open a new area, market area for us. This is what we target in. We know that mid-market products in mining will come more and more. We see that trend since years. If I take construction, excavator, classical case, it's already in since 10, 15 years. it's a natural development that it will happen. When we look in the total market size, of course, we think we can have a good share out of it because we think we have the competence and a lot of other things What you need to make it happen. The other part in it, a decent percentage of mid-market customers will develop and evolve over the time into premium customers where we already play. And, of course, it's always good to know where a part of your peers is coming from, too. So all these are, let us say, in a nutshell, uh, rationals to, uh, to make it happen. Then organic going into mid-market means, in, in reality, recruiting people with the competence. That is what we, what we target, to recruit people with the competence. Salespeople, R&D people, people who can uh, source these uh, components what we need to offer mid-market. Now to the branding part. Yes, it is true. The, there's always the risk of brand dilution. We have in the product company division, which I think is one of the reasons why we will grow next year, we offer or we open for the product companies to use their old brands as product brands now and going direct to the end customers what they already do if it's peers or uh, cement plant uh, owners and so on with the old product brand. That channel we open, that immediately increase. In mid-market, of course, to transfer that into mid-market, there is the strong belief if we enter, then it has to be on its own brand. Thank you.
15: So let's take the other question that has haunted you for a while, networking capital. When could we expect to see any meaningful improvement in that networking capital? And would it be possible to improve it without any uh, major uptake in the uh, order intake and uh, consequently um, uh, prepayments? As I said, we we have identified
4: where the problem areas are. We're working very hard on reducing them. And as Manfred says, we we know there are a number of projects that needs to complete before we can really see improvements. Uh, If I look across the business, the majority of our businesses have improved, and then there is a few left where we need to get them on track as well. Uh, But as I said, these projects are big and they are sticky, and it takes time to to get out of them. So uh, we're doing everything we can. It's our top priority but it takes time, and I can't guarantee you a date when we have all these money in.
15: Okay, so in other words, it will stay at around 10% the coming, let's say, 12 months, unless you get a lot of new orders?
4: As I said, we're doing a lot, and I would be not very happy if we are not improving in the next 12 months.
15: Okay. Uh, hi, uh, Jakob Pedersen from Sydbank. Uh, a question to your order book and the margin levels in your order book. Uh, how do they look compared to, uh, to the margins that you're currently uh, having your P&L? And, and how is pricing on, on orders that, that you're winning currently? Should I take it for the whole group? Okay. I take it for the whole group um
0: We said it the uh, if I take minerals, um, the recession in minerals, the downturn started at the end of two thousand and eleven. we don't see an increasing pricing pressure. we don't see that. So what we have in the order book looks similar to that what we already had, and that in uh, is for both areas the same cement as well as mining. The thing what we have in cement is and Pierre explained it I think very good. We had in 2012, of course, a very high profitability on the cement part based on the positive legacy orders which were taken before the financial crisis and then realized during and after the financial crisis. That was a, you called it one-off, I think, which is quite good wording, um, uh, which was a extremely positive but a unique hit. The range, what we give... The three to eight percent, and I can say it like that, if I minerals as well as in the, in the cement business. This reflects the profitability over a cycle, low point three, high point eight percent. And when you look into, um, the industry with similar kind, not only in minerals and in cement, in other industries too, where you make bigger projects, we are actually above that average what is created there. And we already proved that we achieved that in the past. Lars.
5: So, so, so Manfred, if if you are going to to save 256 million and it triggers a one-off, when are we going to see the one-off? Is it a Q4 event or is it a 2015 event?
12: I have not said that uh, this will all cause a one-off. A lot of it is... uh, Partly, this is savings for the mineral division. That means when you combine two divisions, you have savings on all different levels. We have, of course, managers that have now new, uh, uh, you know, tasks in the organization and things like that. So not everything is really costs. There's a 256 million synergy effect, and that is a part of it is cost, but a part of it is also coming from, uh, you know, uh, improvements in the margins and other things that come into effect. So don't expect that you will see a huge one-off announcement in the near future.
5: Would you see a medium-sized one-off in the immediate future. Now, should we factor in a one-off in Q4, for instance?
0: We, I have to say, Lars, I have to stick with that comment. We are in the process to quantify that. If that is done, then we can give a real answer. So no guessing, please. That's, we are in the process to evaluate that. Okay, then any final question? Any maybe final question? Okay, out of that, I would like to thank you all that you made the effort to come here and to join us in that event, in that I think gorgeous premises. It shows us a big big amount of trust and of course interest Great, thanks a lot for that. For the ones who have to leave very short, safe trip home and for the ones who stay with us, I hope you enjoy the drinks and the dinner what we have, but more the direct access to all of us with your very specific questions. That's the reason why we are here and we are happy for each question, open, transparent question what you have and to answer it as much as we can.